0: Hey all it's Dave, how you doing? I've had a couple of different people that have supported the podcast over these last few months, and uh, they're doing very well, and I'm very excited for them. Infinity Sauces, which makes those killer hot sauces, my buddy John, uh, there's an episode of Food Beast, we actually put that up on the Nobody's Nose Facebook page. So go to facebook.com slash nosynobody and scroll down. Check it out. To link to the Food Beast. They did an episode about infinity sauces. They go in the kitchen with John. They make some. They bottle some. It's very cool. Uh, get yourself some infinity sauce because it's fantastic. And I'm out. I'm running out the last little bit that I've got. So I've got to order some more myself. The other thing uh, I want to tell you guys about, Crown, Black Crown Car Service. They're awesome. They've kind of expanded their territory a bit. I've been hearing about people getting rides from Crown in Everett, Linwood, all the way down to Tacoma, basically the Seattle area. Don't use any of those other ride services. Just get the Crown app. Go to their website, blackcrowncar.com, right at the top of the webpage. There's links to get the app on your phone. Get the app on your phone. You want it. It's an awesome app. You need to have it on your phone. They've got amazing, polite, professional drivers in black sedans and SUVs. They've got no surge pricing, and if you I'm sure you know what surge pricing is if you use car services. If it's a busy time when you need a car, a lot of these services, they'll charge you more, and it'll be a lot more. Black Crown does not do that, so that right there is a benefit. On top of that, they're local. They know their stuff. They're polite. I mean, I think I've said that. They're the best ride in town. Black Crown, use them. Go listen to Soto's episode of this podcast, and you'll get more insight into it. So, yeah. Anyway, I like to talk up my friends, and uh, that's what I'm doing. All right, let's get this thing started. Here we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to I've Known You Too Long, my guest today is uh, it's, its a little different. This show is a little different than the ones we've done before for a couple of reasons. The first reason is the guest that I have on today is someone that I have known from a long time ago, but we haven't known each other very well. We, we're going to learn a lot about each other today. So it's going to be different than uh, telling a whole lot of stories of, hey, remember when we did this together? It's going to be more like learning something new about someone who was in the same place you were and knew a lot of the same people. And that's fine. I think that fits within the uh, purview of this podcast. My guest today is Carl Duval. He was in a band back in the 90s that some people from the hardcore scene around here might remember called Within. I definitely saw them play some shows out on the east side. Carl, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Okay, Carl. I, a lot of times I say I've known you too long, right? But I I haven't really known you too long. I've known you from a point a long time ago,
1: right? Well, I I think more along I knew you. You were a little more present in the in the scene than I was. I would think. Okay, well, because I was doing the record label,
0: right? And that's, I mean, I I feel a little strange about that, but I mean, I kind of understand it, uh-huh. like, um. So I, I get where you're coming from. Now, I remember, like, when you contacted me on Facebook not, not too long ago and said, hey, do you remember, you know, this? And you, you sent me a video clip of Within playing out right. at, uh, at Big John's house. Right. At John Orton's house. Maybe I'm not supposed
1: to say Big John anymore. No. I think then it was still Big John, so.
0: It, I, I, right. I well, I still, when I look at pictures of him, I think Big John might even, might now apply. <laughs> he's, <laughs> yeah. He's definitely. A different big. A yeah. different kind of big, yes. Yeah. Um, So, but you you know, you sent me that clip and I remembered you guys and I remember you guys playing. So anyway, so what we're going to do today, having it be a little bit different is Carl does a podcast also. Yeah. And your podcast is called? Be In My Band. So
1: on your podcast, you interview people who you've been in bands with. Right. I think I've counted, I think I'm, I'm about 14 people that I need to get a hold of. I've done, I've done five. No, I've done four. This would be number five, but it's kind of an offshoot of what I'm doing. Um, two of them I probably won't be able to get, be able to get ones down in Georgia, and the other ones in California.
0: Okay, but, but then there's still maybe opportunities. You never maybe. know, people coming around for family, or they, you know, I've yeah. been lucky to catch people in situations like that. Yeah. So at some point in the future. Not too far in the future, you'll run out of people that you have been in a band with. Yes. Um, now, do you have like creative plans to maybe apply the title in a way? Like, Be In My Band could be interviewing people who you would like to be in a band with in the future or perhaps
1: would have liked to have been in a band with back in the day? Um. I don't know if I'm going to apply the same name. I might just start a new one. I just want to, after this, I just kind of want to interview interesting people. I got a guy I went to college with that... I want to interview. He was in a band called Moral Crux, um, a sure. punk a punk sure. band from Eastern Washington, and he was their bass player. And uh, toured the country. And I want to interview him. He's he's on board. He wants to do that. And nice. I got a couple people in mind. So, when you first did it, was the
0: idea? Let's see how this goes. Let's see if I enjoy running an interview. I mean, did you did
1: you know before you did your first episode that this was going to work for you? The idea wasn't exactly a podcast for public consumption it was i wanted an audio scrapbook of my musical history so i can look back on it i can show my kids or whatever um i got feedback from a couple people that listened to it that enjoyed it so then i was like okay well maybe i'll put this out and you know see if people people like listening to it and i've gotten some pretty pretty good feedback from it so
0: well i I've listened to your first two episodes, and okay. they're great. And I didn't know almost everything you guys are talking about on there, and almost everyone you're talking about on there. I don't know. Yeah. It's still interesting. And what I really did enjoy were the places where it merged in with people I did know right. and things that I, and uh, you know because it's kind of like, oh, suddenly I'm I'm a little tiny part of this interesting story they're telling. <laughs> right. This, this does relate to my life in some yeah. way, and it's it's kind of it's kind of cool. And then you kind of get to hear. You get to hear
1: it from another perspective, and you'll find out during this you kind of have a bigger part than you probably think in my musical history, which is kind of cool. Uh oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just just the beginnings is kind of cool. It's kind of a cool. Well, that's cool thing. So. Um. Well, I hope maybe I'll
0: remember some stuff that I I haven't remembered. Yeah. Um. Okay. So what we're gonna do today. Is we're going to do, I said it was going to be a little different. Here's how it's going to be different. I'm going to do the, uh, my podcast format for about the first hour. And then I'm going to turn it over to Carl and he's going to do his podcast format and he's going to turn around on me and, and ask me some questions. So it's going to be kind of cool. Um, because you know what, most of the stuff that uh, I do on this podcast will apply to someone, whether we went to grade, you know, we were in grade school together, or in bands together, or on tour together, whatever it was. It, even if I didn't necessarily spend a lot of time with that person, a lot of the the information I can get right. will be will be similar. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to start that right off. I believe we met at John's house, probably, or we met at Ground Zero, in. Yeah. In Bellevue at a Within show, yeah, we played and oh, go ahead. We
1: played with Undertale that show,
0: right? And what I was going to say is the thing, and especially from listening to your podcast, so it feels like cheating, but this was already on my mind anyway. Pettybone was advocating your band, yeah, and definitely talking about you guys. And so, what most likely happened was he came up and said, "Carl, do you know Dave? Dave, this is Carl." That would be the handshake, and that would be the first like Probably. official meeting. I, even though. I know that John's was a, was a a location that maybe would have even come earlier. I feel like it was a ground zero show. It could have been. We can just say it is. Yeah. Let's do do that. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, what we tend to do um, or what we do on this podcast um, is we go back from there. How did you get to the point where you and I were in this little teen center in the early to mid
1: nineties in Bellevue playing and listening to this loud music? Okay. Well, I started playing music about eighth grade. I got my first guitar, me and my brother. Just started learning just what we could. Never took lessons, you know, just... So eighth grade is like what year? Um, You can lie a little if you don't want to give away... 88. I'm 40, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I grew up in Snoqualmie. Um, Went to Mount Si High School. Same high school as John Pettibone. And uh, I remember hearing him, he just used to do the... Morning announcements over the intercom. Okay, the hold on. What? <laughs> yeah. High school. He was a senior as a freshman.
0: You sit, you're you're in class, first class of the day. They want you to do, get up and do the uh, Pledge of Allegiance. Right. And then the announcements go. Right. That's John Pettibone. Pettibone did the announcement. Did Pettibone
1: do the pledge? No. I don't think so. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna, I don't know. I'm gonna... I can't remember how the pledge went. I don't know if it was a recording or. But he, he definitely did the bulletin board announcements, Cool, I remember. And th- was this something he did
0: all the time or a brief period of time? His whole senior year, I believe. <laughs> nice. I didn't know that. But yeah. that... that Okay. So he was a front man at your school. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he was. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. Um. So um, from where I started actually playing music, um, was about my junior year. I was in a band called Salient Groove. Um And that
0: was a name I knew. Yeah. I would have at least seen you guys on flyers, if not actually been at shows.
1: You might have been at the show I'm going to bring up. Okay. Um, We did a, at the high school, in the cafeteria, we did a show. It was my band. It was a band called Sabidral, 1007, Undertow. I think that was, might have just been four, that show. In a high school cafeteria? Yes. I don't know that one. My very first show. And My very
0: first in, performance was... In all the way out there in Snoqualmie? Yep. No, I didn't make that show. You didn't go to that one? What year? 92. Okay. I I wasn't in... Unless it was December, I wasn't in Seattle yet. I was still in Bellingham. So oh, really? Shows like that that were kind of smaller and local. It was about March. Yeah, nope. No, I, I wasn't getting... I was coming down... If I, prior to 92, if I was coming down for a show, it would have been maybe something Matt Matsuoka did at his house. Right. But other than that, it would be... The party hall or, you know, something, something on that level. Okay. But like the kind of like more outlying stuff. No, I didn't. Undertow was still a five piece at the point at at that moment. So Um, John was singing. James was playing bass. Seth was on guitar. I thought his name was Joel for some reason. Joel was the singer prior to John. Okay. Who went on to sing in said child.
1: Not nine iron. No no, Nine On Spitfire was was much later. Oh, okay. So Okay, you weren't around, but my point is you ended up signing those two bands to your label, Ten O Seven Undertow. Now I'm signing well is a is I mean, okay. we need great big air quotes <laughs> okay. around signing. But yes. <laughs> See, that was that was my goal in that band was to get signed. Even even your label I wanted I wanted you to take us on.
0: But with sal- with sa- salient group? No, with within. With within. Yeah. And within, I, I ended up with, the, I probably ended up with a demo. Probably. Yeah. And and I can tell you that uh, there was consideration, but what? there was it wasn't like, I mean, at no point was I ever, um, I, I didn't have anything to throw around, you know, it's, right. and I never had money. I, right. It was more like, what, how can I get this thing together? And I, <laughs> but I, would, I was always excited when a band was kind of starting to rise and you'd be like, oh, this band is cool. And it was such a um, it, it was a real there was other dudes doing labels. Right. And that were friends of mine. Right. Uh-huh. So as soon as the band started to get good, it was like, OK, which one of us is going to be able to approach them? And then there are other labels not from around here that might like a really good band, too, you know. Right. So, um yeah, it was tricky. But I, I remember I remember even when you sent me that video clip, I was like, oh, yes, yeah. I remember a time when I, pro- I probably had like a notebook with a list of w- what I thought were the cool up and coming bands in the northwest. And I'll absolutely sure that within got written down we were
1: uh we kept hearing you sound just like you sound like metallica you're not like hardcore you're like you're like metal still it's like yeah we are a little bit yeah but there was a lot of metal
0: type hardcore that people were really into you know i mean yeah. i mean yeah maybe you didn't sound as much like undertow but things like ringworm wouldn't have been too far outside of that or um oh, the band out of florida bloodlet
1: uh, bloodlet yeah love bloodlet
0: yeah so, I mean, things that were metal, Long, it was more about, it wasn't as much about sound as it was about attitude. Yeah. And the, the scene that you were kind of a part of. Right. But I don't remember, I don't remember much happening with within past that Ground Zero show. And that
1: might just be, I got pulled in other directions or. We went through a couple of member chain. I think we changed a drummer after that. Because the, the video I sent you was after the Ground Zero show. Oh, okay. Um. That was I think that was our second to last show. then the things just fell apart, as um, they so often do, <laughs> yeah, we did a couple of shows um within you no know, we reformed silent groove did another one at the at Snoqualmie with balance of the world which at that time was spearhead mm-hmm. um far out way out the way out the way outs they came female singer, right.
0: I cannot remember her name, and I feel bad. But they were good. They were another band that was like on the oh oh something's coming here. Yeah, they were you know? poppy, which is was, was yeah cool. I but I them. did a lot of that stuff on my label too. Did you? I did. Yeah, you know, I did an excursion sampler CD that was like half like pop and like you know melodic stuff and half hardcore, and it was always that was always kind of like an an anchor on the label because it was like oh what's it? We don't always know exactly what to expect. Yeah. For me, I was just putting out stuff I liked.
1: That's the show where John kind of took us under his wing, said, okay, I'm going to, any time we play, or I'm going to try to get you on the opening. The one, open the oh, slot. the show with the way outs? Yeah. He he came, he he didn't play that show, he just came and watched. Um, And he was good friends with our guitar player, they skated together, and grew up kind of in the same neighborhood. Right on. And uh, so, from that point on, he kind of took us on.
0: So this is the period of, you know, when we had met, or when we knew each other, and I was aware of you and your bands, but we got to go back. Okay. I, I need to know I need <laughs> to know where where it all starts. Okay. So if you're a guy that grows up in Snoqualmie and you end up in metal and hardcore bands and hanging out with Pettibone and your bros are skating with them and you're playing shows at Ground Zero, yeah. what was it like for you when you were really young? What was grade school like? Grade school, I grew up in Eastern Washington. Okay. So when did you move over to Snoqualmie? 88. Oh, in 88? In yeah. Okay. So, okay. Let's go back. Where were you we born?
1: I was born in Omac. In Omak, I've been to Omak. Yeah, that's well. That's the hosp. That's where the hospital was. Okay. My parents lived in Twisp when I was born. <laughs> I've been there with my father.
0: Yeah. A number of times. Uh, he's yeah. a he's a prospector. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's and a good so, place to go. yeah, I've yeah. been
1: there. I've I've mar- stomped around the hills around there. Mm-hmm. And- yeah. My grandparents lived there forever at a log cabin up there and. So that was cool. Every every Christmas to go up there would be like three feet of snow, and so that'd be great. That was cool. Um, so we moved probably about three times before I was a year year old. Ended up in Othello, Washington. Um, now that's a place I don't know as much about. Down south. It's about you know where Moses Lake. Yeah, it's about thirty miles south of twenty five miles south of Moses Lake. Okay. Um, farming community. Lived there until eighty eighty eight. So you were in rural
0: spots, yes. In eighty eight, you were fourteen,
1: something like that. Okay.
0: So you came up in a place where there were rattlesnakes, mm-hmm. people hunting, fishing. Mm-hmm. What were you like back then? Were you were you an outdoor kid?
1: I was a ride my bike all day kid. I wasn't an outdoor sports kid. Um, my dad, my dad was an avid hunter, but he kind of got out of it by the time I was old enough to do it. Right. So I've never been hunting. He took my brother's hunting. I've never been. You just missed the. I missed the cutoff. I'd never had a desire really to go. Yeah. See, I,
0: <clears throat> I almost feel like that's a, that's more more of a, like a societal time thing. And I, t- t- what I mean by that is like, you're talking about We're talking about a difference of four years between you and I, yeah. I did go hunting with my dad yeah. up until around high school time, you know, and when I got into punk rock and then into vegetarianism and stuff, I'm like, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. Um, but I, but I did do it, you know, I did, right. I have gone hunting. Yeah. Um, and it was, I mean, and I'm glad that I had that experience, you know, and it's a, it's a whole different world. What did you, you hunt? Know? Deer and elk. Deer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I've been in a number of different places, tromping around in the snow and the woods and climbing over mountains and trying, you know, <laughs> Yeah. I didn't say I was good at it. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, so I, I always find that stuff interesting, especially when someone comes from that world and then, because it's it's not like it's a it's a redneck world but it's just different. I often think of punk rock and hardcore as being something that's real city based, you know. Right. When it comes from when people that are from rural places come into it, sometimes you get a different perspective. Right. And so that's I that's exciting to me because I I had that also. Yeah. Um so you said you rode your bike
1: around a lot. Yeah. Was so it a BMX bike? It was a knockoff BMX bike. We never could afford the the real thing with the pegs and all that kind of all that kind of stuff. Remember but what kind it was? No. I had a crappy BMX bike, too. It was probably something I got at Coast to Coast, you know, something for Christmas. I don't know what it was. It was yellow and black. I know that. Um, Did you build, uh, like, jump ramps? No. We would just... Okay, we lived in a trailer court. So our jumps were, whenever a trailer would get moved out, they would pile the dirt. Yeah. Oh. So that's the, those are our jumps. Well, that's excellent. So, yeah. So you were getting aerial. Well, <laughs> I have one experience where I tried to do a little more than what I was capable of. Mm-hmm. Went up this hill. Supposed to stop at the top. I didn't want to stop at the top. And big metal garbage can at the bottom of it, right at the bridge of my nose. Oh. That, that was fun.
0: G- <laughs> it broke my nose. It broke your nose? Yeah. So did you, you hit the
1: can and it flew
0: up or you fell onto the can? Fell onto the can. Off the bike. Right. Oh, because the rest of that. The rest of that fall is no fun either. No, <laughs> no. there's nothing fun about the
1: fall. <laughs> Going up is fun. Exactly.
0: We would uh, show off. My dad was always building something, you right. know, and for years he was building this big old woodshed out behind our house. And so we would grab whatever piece of plywood we could find uh-huh. and whatever just different firewood and stuff and stack it up and then all the neighbor kids and none of us had good bikes right Right. i mean in fact you know the girls would have girl bikes with streamers coming off the handlebars and stuff (laughs) and we would all try to go off these ramps and half the time they'd fall apart when you hit them i mean there's a tv commercial right now where a little girl is sitting up a a jump ramp uh on the sidewalk Uh and she's getting ready to do it like, to go down the sidewalk, and it's like a it's like a commercial for having good insurance for your kids or something. <laughs> yeah. But I remember looking at that commercial. I'm like, yep, yep, exactly. <laughs> here we go. Except that everyone's going to, you know, yeah. I, I, none of my friends even, like, broke legs or arms or anything doing that. It wasn't until skateboarding. when My first
1: bike was actually banana seed, if I remember right. Yeah, so was mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a huffy, I think. I'm sure it was a hand-me-down of some sort. Probably, probably a yard sale find yeah
0: yeah and then I, I i saved up for it was a team huffy x20 or something it was like it was still like a crappy like department store bike uh-huh. but it had pads on it it had on the crossbar on the handlebars and stuff yeah. and they just they were basically it was the nash skateboards of bmx bikes you know okay. so it was like it was still garbage but i just wanted to get
1: out there and i wanted i wanted to. BMX race you know I actually did it once it was awful See, I was never a brand kid I'm still not I don't care about brand Is that, it, I don't, I don't just I never looked into it I never cared um I just remember we used to have a there's a traveling BMX crew out of Spokane that would come to this to our county fair every year and put on a put on a demonstration on the half pipe and I was like wow that's cool Can't do that,
0: but it's fun to watch. I was never about brands. I just wanted—I mean, I didn't care if my bike had no name or sticker on it or anything. I just wanted it to be light enough, yeah, and to hold together and not rattle. And get you know the handle—you know the handlebars that I had—they got it kind of got stripped out. So whenever I would land off mm-hmm. of a jump with my weight on the handlebars, it would push it down, and I'd have to pry it back up to be oh. able to steer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just just awful, <laughs> awful stuff like that. And when, and so, I, when I
1: say not a brand guy, I mean I didn't even know what the good ones were. Uh, not that I didn't care if I owned one. I just never looked into it to even know what the good ones were. I mean, we kind of lived in our own little world in that trailer court. So, sure. I mean, it's just me and my brothers. Stuff like that, though, I mean, it, I feel like it. it does kind of
0: color the direction of your life. Like, if you've got a bunch of Bunch of bros who who you know rode bikes, and then they were pushing you to try to jump higher or do something more dangerous. <laughs> that can definitely like translate into something later. Yeah. Um. So you never you never went hunting. No. About fishing. Yeah. You were near Moses Lake, so you go to potholes and stuff like that.
1: I didn't fish in the potholes. We would cliff jump off potholes. Um, oh, I've never been to a part where you can cliff jump there. Yeah, there's there's one spot. I didn't do that until like the summer before I left. Um. When that's probably when my oldest brother actually got his license. He can take us to do different things. Um, up until that, swimming and stuff we do in the irrig- irrigation canals and stuff like that. And See,
0: there's so much wildlife over there that I'm not comfortable
1: with. The idea of swimming with it kind of freaks me out. Yeah. Um. It was just an easy way to go swimming without having to bother your parents to take you into town to the pool. Right. Um. Until one of my friends... Actually, it was the summer I left one of my friends ended up drowning in it. Oh, my um, God. He... uh his dog jumped in and he went to save him and he got his feet caught up in barbed wire at the bottom and couldn't get out. His dog made it out, but he didn't oh. So yeah. He was... went all the way down into barbed wire in the like barbed below, the, below yeah. the um the cliff jump. No, it wasn't we didn't cliff jump in the canals. Cliff jump is just into the lake, but canals was we just go swimming. Wow. Yeah. So he got his feet tangled up in the and couldn't get out. I was that's that's awful mm-hmm.
0: um i was uh recently floating in a uh in an air raft in potholes or it, i don't know if it was, it, it was part of moses lake it's hard for me to know what's what over there i get confused right. but um i was uh floating down and uh by myself i'd left early we were staying out at uh, soap lake and i drove and that's
1: like 25 miles from where i live
0: oh now. cool yeah. from where you live now yeah uh Excellent. I love that. We enjoy that place. So, but I I like to get out over there and I used to go fishing out there when I was a kid with some friends. And so, um, I was floating around in there and I just kept seeing wild animals, like a lot of different stuff. And there was no one else around. I'm like, well, I hope I don't run into something that I'm going to be unhappy with. And I, I was kind of, I was reading a book or something. I'm floating and I hit these, uh, I hit some, some branches that were out into the water. And so when the sound of the, um, inflatable raft hitting the branches spooked a deer or something, I didn't actually see him, Mm -hmm. um, that had been drinking at the, so I heard this, I saw this big, you know, explosion of Brown and this noise. And then it went off into the, into the bushes maybe. And it sounded like 10, 15 feet off the shore. Right. And I am freaked out. So I'm kind of rowing back out towards the middle of the, you know how those little canals are there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, this thing was stomping back and forth and snorting and breathing heavy. Like it was, it was like spooked and then it was angry. And I right. thought, Oh, I have to, this is going to, it's going to come out. I was just imagining those videotapes people get of deer attacking hunters and stuff. <laughs> like this yeah. thing's going to come and sink my raft and kill me and impale me on it. So, so I'm like trying to row out of there as fast as <laughs> I can. Are you still vegetarian? Um, I eat uh, most. Yeah. No. Okay. And I never was full blown vegetarian. I always ate uh, fish. Right, and in in recent years, I've I've eaten a little bit of chicken, okay, um, turkey, like you know. I was just thinking dinner. of
1: the irony of that story. If he did attack you, it would be <laughs> if fun. I was a vegetarian, vegetarian, killed by the animals. <laughs> right,
0: he, well, they're wild. Come on, you I know, know but... but um, no, but I don't eat I don't eat red meat, beef or pork ever, okay. and I, it just doesn't sit well with me. Mm-hmm. So On top of the moral, yeah, those right. issues. It's it's uh, I can't really eat it. So, what about you? Have you ever been vegetarian? Did you, did you fall ever fall into any of that? Yeah
1: um are you still no um for about i think for about two years my wife when we got married wanted me everybody all the the whole family to be vegetarian so i agreed to be vegetarian she got pregnant with our second child and she started eating meat i was like this is your idea i'm not gonna (laughs) (laughs) i'm only doing this for you right i'm back to eating meat and I have to say, I said fall into it. I don't mean it like that.
0: I mean, did you ever, you know, explore that? Yeah. Because I don't think it's a bad thing at all. No, so. me either. All right, but- it, Do you know who my ex was? John's sister. Right. Yeah.
1: Liz. Okay. Yeah. Yes.
0: And you have two children with her? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Do you have just two or do you have other kids?
1: I have just those two. Yeah. We have, actually, I think I messaged you when Damien is on there, The his band Dempsey. Yes. This is where we got the name for our first
0: kid. Is his, your his first? Name is
1: Dempsey. His name is Dempsey. Yeah, named after the band. Yes,
0: that's awesome.
1: We say we named after a band, then we go on to say actually, but the band is named after the boxer. Yep. So, either if you're a sports fan, we say it was after the boxer. If you get the music thing, then we say yeah, we named it after a band. <laughs> and ultimately, I mean, there were other bands you like
0: that you didn't name him, right? right. I mean, ultimately, it's because you like the name. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good with the Duval. Dempsey Duval. Yeah, uh, that's, that's a that's a potentially famous person name. I think so. Yeah, yeah.
1: Dempsey Duval. Uh huh. Because Dempsey's usually a last name. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was kind of a cool. Right on. That's
0: another way that it that it uh, it's all connected. Ties in a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So you're you're this uh, outdoors riding BMX bikes, living in the trailer, right? Uh, jumping off cliffs, doing some fishing. Yeah. And then you moved to Snoqualmie.
1: Moved to Snoqualmie.
0: Now, that's still kind of a small spot. It's still not yes. the big city, but you're a lot closer to Seattle yes. at that point. Was it like a culture shock? Was it kind of a trip? Were you happy to make that move? No. You were I mean, not happy? I did
1: not want to move. And you had to move away from your friends? Right. Oh, it's awful. So, okay, I was going into my eighth grade year. My middle brother was going into his sophomore year. My oldest brother's going into his senior year. He didn't move with us. He stayed I lived with a friend for his senior year. Um. This is the culture shock. I got into it in my first podcast. Second day on the West Side, Monsters of Rock. Our first concert ever.
0: <laughs> <It> was a <laughs> pretty good story that you told on your first podcast. And we don't want to tell too much of it here no, because that's a but... good reason for people to go listen to your first yeah. episode of your podcast. Culture shock. <laughs> <laughs> Huge. <laughs> but you talked about getting dressed up for it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, of so, course, so you move over, and who takes you to monsters of rock? My parents, your parents was it kind of like a we're gonna take you over there and we know we're uprooting you, and we're gonna do this as something
1: nice to ease the pain no, I don't it was just a coincidence that we were moving that same that same time. It probably put a lot of stress on them okay here's here's another story that I told. we lived in a double wide we moved the double wide across the state, oh wow, so where the movers were supposed to meet another company on the top of the pass, and they were supposed to take it over. The other company didn't show up. So we're stuck on the pass for, I think, five hours.
0: Waiting for someone to come Waiting switch for the out other. to bring the double wide over the pass?
1: Right. Wow. What time of year? Summer. June. Summer, okay. It was June. Um, so, but it made, the, actually, the moving process easy. We just had to pack up some stuff and basically tape up the cabinets. So you moved but lived in the same house? Yes. Was that a trip? Yeah. No, not, I don't think it, not many people can say that. No. So <laughs> I grew up in two different towns across the state, same house. <laughs> There's more stories on the house. There was a movie filmed at the house called Mulletville. <laughs> <laughs> called Mulletville. Yes. It was a guy, his first project out of film school. And they, about...
0: why, why did they pick your house? Wasn't the most likely for a movie called Mulletville? Yes,
1: they wanted a trailer out in the middle of nowhere. They walk in, they knock, you know, just cold, just cold called my parents, knocked on the door, asked them if they can come in and look at the house or interested in filming a movie there. They walk in, they look at my mom's decor, like, don't change a thing. <laughs> no
0: set dressing needed. This is Mulletville. <laughs> they
1: said, take down your family pictures. Everything else is fine. <laughs> <laughs> so Mulletville, that's out there. It's a movie people can watch? Yes. It used to be on Netflix. It used to be in uh, Hollywood Video. Oh, I don't know where oh, you can get rest it Rest in peace. Hollywood Video. <laughs> yeah.
0: How prominently does your house play in Mulletville? The whole thing's shot there. Okay.
1: So it's its not like one small set. No, it's the, the, whole, p- it's the set. Inside, outside. I'm in it a little bit. They have a band, it's a it's a, it's a a guy that goes back to his town and there's a party and all of his, he was kind of the nerdy kid and he goes back and he's going to show off because he's a big Hollywood producer now or whatever. And uh, he runs into all the old people that used to pick on him, the hicks and all that kind of stuff. And uh, there's a scene in the backyard, the high school band got back together type of a scene. They set up in my parent. The stage was my parents' old broken down boat. They put a piece of plywood <laughs> on top of that, and that was the stage. <laughs> so, actually, did you ever watch the show Twin Peaks? Not Twin Peaks. Um, Northern Exposure. I did
0: not ever watch Northern Exposure.
1: There's a girl on there. She played the barmaid. Her name is Cynthia Geary. Um, she was she's in the movie. She was actually fairly famous at one point. But it's her cousin is the one that made the movie. So you know pulled some strings and oh sure it's all who you know right so she was in it she's the only one famous but
0: that's pretty cool yeah. well no it's it's on i gotta track it down now
1: yeah i'm sure it's out there somewhere
0: well drake who's in the other room right now i don't think we're gonna we're gonna hear from her today but the the shadowy figure behind the scenes here at nobody's knows uh she'll know it she'll have seen it she's seen every movie yeah so i'll, I'll have to get her take on it before i go search for it if you grew up in kind of a Bellingham might fit into that. I know you're from Bellingham. Yeah, no, not just Bellingham too. I'm from the county part, like the outskirts of Bellingham. Then so. you will so relate to it. I grew up running around, playing in the creek, in the woods. Oh yeah. We made, you know, we, we most of the time when we weren't trying to play a sport, the neighborhood kids, we were just like carve, you know, uh, making swords stick, you know, for stick fighting, right? Oh, yeah. And and getting someone hurt really bad, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but not quite enough usually <laughs> for an ambulance, right? Yeah. So okay, yeah, I'll probably Yeah, so that.
1: yeah, that's that's the story of that house. It kinda has a life of its own. Um and still there? No. Um when my Okay, my parents stayed there for a while, then when my marriage was kinda going going to going down the drain, I moved back in. My parents both went on disability and moved to Cooley City where I'm at now. Um for they retired for health reasons, so I, I took over the house again and I was there for maybe six months. Then my parents didn't own the land. They owned the house. Right. So the land owner sold it, sold the land, and said, okay, you got three months to get out of here. Three so, months to move the house again. Right. So it stayed there in two halves for I don't know how long we, we separated it, but ended up, anyway, it ended up getting out of there, but I wasn't in it. So it's over in East Washington somewhere now. Okay. So it's the legacy goes on. Yeah. I don't know if it's together. But the parts are over there. <laughs> nice.
0: Someone's got to find
1: the Mulletville House. That's right. <laughs> the relics of the
0: yeah. Okay, so you came over, culture shock. You go to Monsters <clears throat> of Rock. Yes. You uh you wore
1: costumes. Well, you can call it a costume. <laughs> yeah, we um. Was it your idea? Um, I'm sure I had something to do with it. Um, might have I was the youngest brother, so I might have just went along with what my brother Chad was doing. See, Glenn, he went to the same concert, my oldest brother, he went to the same concert in Spokane earlier in the tour, probably the week before. Right. Um, So he didn't go to this one. Okay, so he, who played this thing? Opener, it was Kingdom Come, Dokken. Actually, Kingdom Come first, Metallica second. Dawkins, Third, Scorpions, Van Halen, Dawkins played over Metallica. It was yeah, it was before what? one. It was before one was out on the. This on is eighty eight though. Yes, Metallica was still really
0: well known. They but, were getting well known. Yeah, but this is before one. This is before they got nominated and lost to Jethro Tull. <laughs> they had the flute playing metal metal band. <laughs> Okay, well, that's that's still, though. I mean, come on. Yeah. Metallica below Dokken is a... Th- that, I mean, I don't think that probably ever
1: happened again. No. No, I'm sure... I mean, you hear... I've actually watched interviews of them talking about that show, how brutal it was for Dokken to follow them, because people just hated... Sure. You come know. on, they had, like,
0: one good song, right? Well, it depends on who you talk to. <laughs> Are you a Docking fan? <laughs> Were you at the time? Yeah. Because well, there's Breaking the Chains. Breaking the
1: Chains, um, I don't know
0: anything else.
1: <laughs> I know there's more because I had my brother was a huge Dockin' fan. I I thought I
0: was, but it was only because I liked that song. Yeah. From watching the video, every once in a while when they play it on the video show that I was watching it on Friday or Saturday night, I was more know?
1: of a George Lynch fan. He's an awesome guitar player, and the, he's in okay. player. Yeah, he's a guitar okay. player, and he went on to Lynch Mob. And um, but yeah, ask any guitar player; he's <laughs> probably one of the best I, out there.
0: I guess. I guess Lynch Mob is a good name for your band when your
1: last name That's is Lynch. That's the only Lynch. reason. <laughs> but
0: maybe one might think, hey.
1: hey That's a pretty easy no, way out. I don't know. I don't know if maybe. Actually, my brothers, both of my brothers, it must have been five years ago, and came back to Seattle and they went and saw him in one of the small clubs in, down in Pioneer Square. Well, I see. I think that would be kind of awesome. I think I'd rather do that, yeah. So. Let's <laughs> see him in their heyday. Okay, so who's the headliner? Van Halen. Van Halen. Okay. Van Hagar. Actually, it's his first tour. Ru- oh, see that. See, I think that might have been kind of rough too. As far as what?
0: Hagar, right, right at the replacement of. Uh, yeah, but that,
1: that album had some had some pretty good success. It did, but had it had it come into people's consciousness yet? I I, I would think so. Uh, I, I mean, that's. I feel like I remember people <clears throat> complaining at first. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Because. David Roth was, you know, you either hate him or you love him. And at that point, everybody... I'm growing to like him more now. Just because... <laughs> he's just such a
0: goofball. I think my t- our, our time... Our time frame might be off on this a little bit. It, it, 88
1: was when, when Hagar started with Van Halen? That was his first tour with him, I believe. Because 84 was, I think... 84 was... Uh, well, there was a record called 1984. Right, but that was the last album with... So four years in between. Yeah. Well, things stuck around for a long time back then. Well, might have, they might have brought it out in 87. You never, you know, that was just their tour for it.
0: Yeah, okay, that makes sense. I was trying to think, because David Lee Roth did have solo stuff when I was still in junior high. And yeah. I think that's post-Van Halen, or was he doing solo and Van Halen at the same time? No, that was post-Van Halen. because right. had like so
1: just a gigolo and all that garbage. Right, because he, he had, um well, just a gigolo... I think that was a Van Halen. They did a cover album, which just covers.
0: That just a gigolo is Van Halen.
1: It's not David Lee Roth. I can't remember because they did like California oh, Girls. Oh, good. I stuff kind of to
0: stuff. correct in the correction section now. <laughs> <laughs> California Girls, but that I feel, that was when I was in high
1: school. But like the California Girls and uh, whatever other Roy Orbison Roberts. cover they did, Pretty Woman. They did that song.
0: Well, that's now that's that Van that, Halen. that goes way back though. I think with Van be, Halen because yeah. that that's classic. I think that's Van Halen one. Is
1: it? I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm
0: gonna go find out. I'm not a
1: huge Van Halen <laughs> history guy, but um,
0: which I will still say I, I think is a good record. Which one? First Van Halen
1: record. I running with the devil. Oh yeah, he's crying. They actually did. They didn't do running with the devil because because he got hit with a bottle, and they didn't do their encore. That would have been their encore song. Oh really? And Hagar got hit or hurt or something, so he didn't come <sighs> back out. That's the concert my dad got to go. And the security guard let him in. He came early. Yeah. He came, he came back like two hours after the thing started thinking it would be over. It was like an eight-hour concert. Okay. So they just dropped you off. They didn't go to the concert. No, they just dropped us off. And then they left, came back again, checked on it again, see if it was going to be over and Van Halen was playing at the time. The security guard asked my dad. And he related to corrected me. I guess my mom went in, too. He said, uh, have you ever seen one of these things? And I was like, no. And he goes, well watch out for flying bottles and follow me. And he like led him up like to the stage. From That's the, pretty cool. From the back. Well, it was. it's cool, but my dad had no part of it. He hated it. So uh, he, he lasted about two minutes and left. Did they, did they hate the music? Oh, yeah.
0: Did, did you have parents that were not into rock music? No. Did not they think all. it was? But they let you go. They
1: weren't against it. They just didn't want to hear it. Okay, so they didn't think it was evil. It wasn't like a religious thing. No. You didn't grow up with any religion? I went to church all the time Um, with my mom. My dad didn't go. I went to church, actually, up until I moved to Snoqualmie. I was in church, in scouts in church. Um, oh, wait. Scouts in church is Royal Rangers.
0: What? Okay. So, was it Boy Scouts that met at the church, or was it- Because yes. the church that I went to had its own type of scouts called Royal Rangers. Oh,
1: really? No. It was actually a Boy Scout that per- met at pretty, the church. Pretty awful. I'm just <laughs> going to say right now, it was <laughs> Royal Rangers was pretty awful. Yeah. Yeah, so- um. I was never actually religious. I just, just kind of what I was expected to do. Um, Yeah. Then just went with my mom and me and my brothers. I think my oldest brother is probably the most into it out of any of us, but
0: yeah. Well, sometimes when, I mean, that's, you know, I definitely grew up hearing a lot about how rock music was satanic. Okay. And I had an older brother who had real bad, like, battles with my parents over his music. So I learned that when, if the music had anything sketchy that i didn't want them to know about i only listened to it on headphones so they couldn't oh, really? hear it and his instinct was of course and the dude's 50 years old he still wants to play the music really really loud you yeah. know like and it's it, my instinct has always been keep it to myself okay but so i avoided a lot of that. i mean and considering that he was just listening to metal you know mm-hmm. and and rock, just acdc was his big band okay um but, you know, unless listen- I get into the misfits and uh-huh. stuff that if they actually heard those lyrics, it would have lost their mind. right? <laughs> so it's like, nope, <laughs> hidden, totally hidden. Yeah. <laughs> Not going to know about it. So when I hear, you know, parents weren't into music, I wonder, like, that-, that can mean a lot of things. That could just mean they just don't like that type of music or yeah. they actually
1: think it's taking your soul to hell. No, it was never that. They just weren't in. Into- my dad was my dad is even old for his age. I mean, my dad's favorite music is big band music. Mm. um glenn miller stuff like that glenn miller's like his all-time he still listens to it um so that was his thing my mom is more of a country western but it was never i mean we when we started playing guitar we had huge amps and we lived in that trailer so there was no insulation but they let us play it as long as we wanted that's cool and um to a certain extent till they couldn't hear the news or whatever then they right asked us to turn it down or whatever but always very supportive my parents are always at the shows no, but I'd say 75% they'd, they'd come. They never went to like John's or anything like that. But sure. um, we'd play festivals in Me, They'd come out and they just, we don't know what you're saying, but. That's <laughs> we'd impressive. Ask, we'd that's... ask him if it was good. I don't know. <laughs>
0: I mean, that's but. cool. And I've always, you know, by the time I, I, I started seeing that happen, I was already an adult. I was already in my 20s, you know, but like more and more. <laughs> I I recently had an experience where I was at a show and it was a um, record release show and the kid singing very young you know mm-hmm. he's got to be between 18 and 20 years old he uh he says our par- my parents came out they're seeing they're seeing me play for the first time they've never seen us play before and he points over the stage to people who are younger than me like definitely <laughs> younger than me and i just looked at my friend chris appoint who's sitting next to me who's, yeah. uh,
1: who's older than me and we kind of went oh god <laughs> <laughs> yeah those young people are his parents <laughs> Well, when so, I was when I was in within my I'm my son I was my son's age, my son's nineteen. Oh wow, yeah. So yeah, that's that's <laughs> the age I was in within. That's so a, is he playing music? No, he just I bought him a guitar, an amp. He just no interest. Dempsey. Well, so what is how is Dempsey Duvall gonna get famous? Um, acting. No, he's gonna get discovered. He actually works on a comic book. Him and his friend work kind of comic book together. That's um, that's a. Maybe a way bigger deal it could be, <laughs> and it's it's actually pretty good, my brother uh, Dempsey does the writing, the other guy does it does the illustration. he wants to do a part he wants me to help him set up and do a podcast with him and his friend that doesn't do that, so I'll probably help him do that nice um, he's he's a creative kid he just uh yeah he'll figure it out he's definitely <laughs> he'll figure it out yeah he's and he's doing the writing and his
0: friend's doing the art, yeah, that's cool he knows a little bit about last writing I stuff. heard I don't know if they're still doing it, but yeah, well, I know how how, how old are they?
1: 19.
0: Oh, 19. Okay, that's, that's not, like, not like 15, 16. 19, all of a sudden, you're if you're going to write a comic, you might actually write the comic.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's on It's on some comic board where a lot of people read it, I guess. I, I don't know. It's his own little world. I don't really get into it too much. Very cool. Yeah. If it's something to read, I'd love to check it out. Yeah. I'll see if I can get the link or see... Cool. So yeah.
0: Okay. So I'm not gonna take the funny parts of your of the story. Okay. Uh, uh, that's people need to go check out your your <laughs> podcast and it's good. It is definitely good. Yeah. Um, so you're over here. The house is used in the the house is used in this movie. You go yeah. to this monster Rock thing. Yeah. Well, the house the ha- that was
1: later on. That was right. But when I was covering. When I was out of. Yeah. Sure. Right. Cover what we've already talked about, and yeah. then you start playing music with people. About yeah. About my junior year in high school is when I start being brave enough to show people hey let's try to try to play something um so when
0: more. when did your interest in music cuz well you were playing with us i mean you were playing at the shows that we were doing so at what point did it go from being kind of acceptable music like that people listened to on the radio and saw uh-huh. videos of when did you move over into
1: uh either punk rock or metal that was underground it was metal definitely i was never a punk kid um the first time, well, when I was still in Othello, I think we discovered Anthrax. Um, I'm A the man, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of then, course. Then we listened to their other stuff and was like, "Oh, this is pretty cool." Um, once we found out who Metallica was, then we listened to them. We didn't know who they were when we saw them. Then we checked them out after. Okay. Right. Like, oh, okay. This is this is really good. Um, the biggest changing point for me is when I heard Pantera. Okay. Um, my friend Josh who was in a band, my first band with me, showed me that. And it was like over from that point for me. It was just like, that's what I want to play. So Pantera definitely reaches into hardcore and reaches in But it's
0: not as much punk rock. No. I mean, it's not. So did you not have a lot of experience with that type of music? No. And what about stuff like, because a lot of dudes that are in hardcore and stuff are also in stuff like the Smiths and Morrissey. No. That's not your vibe at all. I
1: get that from you. No, <laughs> no. All right. Maybe so, more okay. now. If I listen to it now, I might have a little more appreciation for it. But, I didn't appreciate punk at the time. I didn't appreciate. I just metal. What about something? like... So this is the band that always comes up. What about DRI? I don't know who that is. Oh, okay. Didn't you didn't listen to DRI back then? No. Okay. I'm not a. Um, see, I'm kind of I'm kind of a weird guy as far as music goes. I played it. I played a lot. I liked what I liked, but I. I'm not a music historian. I should yeah, sure. you should say um, I don't like a lot of bands. People think I should listen to. I've I haven't listened to right. Just like I don't even know who DRI is. I get that. That's fine.
0: It is an anomaly for the podcast, really, um, because that's the one that for, that it seemed like no matter what background people came from, that one always gets dropped. And after like you know ten episodes or something, I was like, everyone says DRI, <laughs> so <laughs> you should probably go revisit DRI yeah. or go visit DRI since it won't be a revisit. Yeah, yeah. but it was like crossover. Uh-huh. I mean everybody was into it skaters were into it and metal people were into it it was just yeah. yeah so that's cool so you start playing uh and with the idea that Pantera that's your
1: vibe that's my vibe the band not the band I was in not so much um our guitar player first guitar player he was just like a blues he was guns and roses it was his his band so and he did the writing so it was bluesy it was a blues jam we did it was just kind of garbage music funny he did she did a song called cavity creeps and it, we we're just getting our feet wet in the music we didn't know what we were doing we replaced him or he quit we replaced him with Derek and he he got a little more we got a little more serious with him he was more of a metal guy too um he was more glam metal than anything um so he he had the cheesy side but he knew how to write songs and construct them our bass player is like a pearl jam type guy our drummer was like 14. And he didn't care what we played. He just wanted to play. And this is salient. 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 I'm probably
0: pronouncing it wrong. Yeah.
1: What did the name mean? Salient means something protruding from the ground that grabs your attention. Okay. Groove is groove, but we're cool. So we spelled it G-R-U-V-E with the double dots. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Yeah. (laughs) So, we thought that was a cool name, so we just, we just went with it. Yeah, it definitely stuck
0: out. I mean, I, I remember it. Yeah. When I, I re- first heard you mention it, before, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I remember. It. Yeah. And then, at what point does that change to Within? Okay, so... There's
1: a, that's a big jump, right? Yeah. In years? Okay. So, Silent Groove disbands or whatever. Um, our guitar player, Derek, starts playing a side project called A Stevelance with my brother on bass. And this guy Eric, who I did a podcast with, Eric Rice. What does Estevolence mean? I have no idea. It's, I think it's was that that band. I thought it was like some like all their three of their names put together, but I don't see where. Chad oh, was. so it's a made up word out of their names. I think so. That's
0: great. I think so. Because <laughs> then you can just say it means whatever you want. You you founded <laughs> the word, right? That's right. You made up.
1: <laughs> no one can question it. Um. So they they played for a while, then I found myself without a band. I worked myself into that band somehow as a guitar player. We tried out a singer, it didn't work, so we just decided I would sing. So I started singing. We kicked Derek out, brought in another guy, Jason. We actually went by the name "Refused" for a while <laughs> right <laughs> when <laughs>
0: "Refused" was coming up when the the Refused from the from
1: Europe right, yeah. John Orton informed me. There's another Refused out there, so you probably need to think of a different name. So we thought of, we got Within. Um, I can't remember that time frame. So we get this other guitar player, Jason. Um, We met him at Denny's. He looked like, hey, he, he might play guitar. Hanging out in a Denny's. Right. At people, 2 o'clock in
0: the morning. 2 o'clock in the morning. People smoking. Could you still smoke in the Denny's? Yeah. Yep. Ashtrays on the table. Yep. He what was, a he was what smoking. a different time. Right. How much time did you spend in Denny's at that time in your life? Probably 5 nights a week. 5 That okay, so this is one place where our lives are very similar. Right. What was your favorite uh, item on the menu?
1: The Superbird. The Superbird. Yes.
0: I okay, I definitely was saw that ordered a lot. I went for the veggie cheese melt. Okay. But prior to the having the veggie cheese melt being one of my only options on the menu and I don't <laughs> right. think you can still get the veggie cheese melt at Denny's yeah. um, I, I was all about Denny's biscuits and gravy. Oh really And the thing Never is it's not good right <laughs> I don't know that I ever had good biscuits and gravy, but I just got obsessed with it and right. so and that was probably. The th- I will bet Denny's Biscuits and Gravy kept me for, from being a vegetarian for at least a year. You didn't want to give that up. Nope. There were certain things I couldn't <laughs> give up. I couldn't give up.
1: You couldn't give up really bad Biscuits and Gravy. Denny's Biscuits and Gravy. But it was the
0: right price and it was just like a, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to, I am drinking 10 cups of coffee tonight. <laughs>
1: my girlfriend's going to smoke a pack of cigarettes. Yeah. I need some food. <laughs> yeah. We used to actually, my brother people can tell you stories. We called it the nacho experience. My brother would order nachos and he had the worst burps ever. And we'd invite people that hadn't been with us just for that reason. So he can be trapped in the car on the way home with my brother burping on him. Now, were you always in the same Denny's? It's, a qua.
0: it's And there was just one? Yeah. Okay. It's not there anymore. In, in Bellingham, we had, uh, north side and south side denny's and different vibes at both Mm -hmm. the south side was where there were more freaks so we preferred that one (laughs) and there were some real interesting characters that would be there as often as we were um there was this one wannabe rap kid called kid clock and time and he used to sit by himself (laughs) because people didn't really hang out with him and write raps and we're talking about like 1990 1991 whatever and and we would talk to him every once in a while because you just see the same crazy person right and he would tell us these theories and he i remember him telling us one night the the way to write a really good song is to put something annoying in it that no one likes he said listen to me he's like this is true put something annoying in there that no one likes because they'll remember it and then there's then you have good stuff in there too and I've, I've thought of that as all this garbage music has come out and yeah. in the popular culture for the last, like, 20, 30 years. I've been like, that guy was so smart. I hope he went and made millions of dollars. Maybe it was Macklemore. <laughs> it could have been. I don't, oh, my God. If Kid Clock in Time was Macklemore, I'd be so stoked. Oh, God. Um, okay, so d- did were there other... Th- my, my point about telling you that is were there other people in the Denny's... Other groups that hung out there all the time that you saw. Did
1: you get to know Denny's people? Um, I don't think so. Um, we kind of there would be a bunch of us that would go. Even like John's parent, like John's mom, would go with us every once in a while. Because John or, Horton. Yeah, yeah. Vicky would go. Um, but no, I mean,
0: it was we, your place, right? We saw <laughs> we saw this guy
1: him and his girlfriend sitting at the table. I can't remember. My brother remembers it differently. I thought we approached him at the table. Um, my brother remembers us kind of waiting until we saw him getting ready to leave and we approached him in the parking lot, asking him if he played guitar.
0: He because did. of how he
1: looked. Exactly. You looked at a guy and said, guy like that plays guitar. <clears throat> he had jeans, he had a cut off Motley Crue t-shirt, and he had a Metallica hat on backwards. Guitarist. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we needed a guitar player that could play solos, because we were still into solos sure we asked him he said yeah um i think the next day we went to his house he showed us some stuff he can do we showed him our stuff he was able to play it like right on the spot and we started playing with him that went on for probably i don't maybe a year i don't even it could have been four months i don't know i can't remember yeah it's it's hard to get a a handle on the time yeah um so we had him we had another guitarist adam I think we we played a couple of house parties with him. We played The Basement Show once with him. The Green played that show. Um, I can't remember. Um, Then we played The New World in Seattle with him on a Sunday night at 11. Prime spot. (laughs) It was the band, a drunk couple, and the employees. That's who was there. (laughs) And the drunk couple was just heckling us. (laughs) Do you play any songs that don't turn into noise? Oh, God. No, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> we're noisy. Let's deal with it. So he ends up not working out. We kick him out. So then we're four-piece. After
0: a year with the, the Denny's metal guy. Right.
1: Ah. We ended up trying to get a guitar player for trial. Brian? Brian Redman. Brian. We yeah. asked him if he wanted to play. He was interested, but he was too busy with He had a couple other projects going on. Left with nothing. He was in that kind of satanic metal band, Three too. Inches of Blood. Yeah, um, and I think Trial at the time, or that maybe it was be- right. maybe it was before Trial. It could,
0: Well, that's the thing.
1: Is it? Are we into like ninety five, ninety six? Probably ninety five. Yeah, that sounds about right. He he was interested, but he had us hook up with another guy who was really good, another metal guy. But I think we tried him out once and kind of just didn't like the vibe, so we stuck with a four piece. And that's when it turned to with Within, I think, about that point. And I can't remember how many shows we actually played with Within. Quite a few shows down at John's. Um, in the basement. Yeah.
0: In the basement out in Fall City at John's house. I mean, everyone would remember it was Big John's, but John right. was, Uh There were some truly phenomenal shows there. Yeah. And I'm going to link, if, if it's up, link the, the footage that you sent me. Okay. Um, do you have that up on YouTube? Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. it's awesome. It's you guys doing an Integrity cover. Right. But Integrity also played in that basement, didn't they? Yep. And who, who else? Saw I mean, I'm, I saw case. such amazing shows up there. It Snapcase. Wasn't
1: was it an Integrity
0: and Snapcase the same show? It was Snapcase and Donuts. And I remember that Integrity were staying there. They were
1: upstairs, right? But I don't know if Integrity they... Integrity stayed at my place in the trailer that weekend. <laughs> in the, in, in, <laughs> my in parents the, were gone. In the Bulletville trailer? <laughs> yeah.
0: Awesome. They
1: stayed with me that weekend.
0: Um, this... I believe they played in the basement, but they also played at Ground Zero. Yeah. Okay. All right, we just took a quick break, so this might sound a little disjointed. We're not going to come back in perfectly on it. Um, so we we're talking about basically within, yeah. And is it, was it coming to an end?
1: Yeah, like I said, the show that I sent you we recovered the the integrity song was our second to the last show that we played. Um, we played one more show at John's basement after that, and it was an, it was a train wreck, and it was it was over at that point. Okay. Yeah, but you continued to play music. I took about ten years off after that. Okay. Um, just concentrated on you know raising the kids and stuff. Um, you took time off from hardcore to be a dad, right? Then I think about two thousand, two thousand three. Me and my brother and two other guys decided to try try it again. Um, as a band, that ended up calling we called ourselves Thirties Burning.
0: Thirties Burning. Yeah,
1: we we're all off the in our thirties, late thirties. Kind of a different thing. I was still singing. Um, we had one guitar player, the drummer that I was was telling you earlier, he he didn't fit. He played with brushes, and we practiced down in John Orton's parents' basement. Um, that's where we rehearsed. We never played out because we never had a drummer. Um, but we did do a seven song CD. Um, this is where we got to record at Bob Lang Studios. Oh, nice! Um, our guitar player was a intern there, so he got some studio time for working there. We recorded one song there, and I didn't know the place was famous until afterwards. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was a cool experience. That, that's one thing that out of that band that was cool. And you released that CD? No. Oh, it's just you just have the we recording. recorded it and made probably twenty five copies and. I don't even know if I have one at the point. At this point, it's on digital, but I don't have the packaging and all that stuff. Right Um,
0: now, is this stuff up online? If someone wanted to track this down, would they
1: be able to find some thirties burning? Um, probably just from from my Facebook. I've I've posted a few songs. I don't think anything's been up there. I mean, I could put it up pretty easily. But yeah, so we never really we we played one show for our friends. Like I said, I programmed a drum machine. That's how we did. That's how we did our our drumming and stuff. and uh, But never, we tried out a drummer. I think a couple of drummers, none of them really fit or could do what we wanted them to do. Um, I did more actual singing. That's when I actually became more of a singer, not just a, not just a yeller. Did you, um, h- how did you go about that process? Did you take a class or? No, I just did it In my, in Silent Groove, I was singing. I was, I'd, I hadn't discovered. I started yelling, you know, the Pantera thing, but when I heard Undertow, that was more my style was that and a Rage Against the Machine, um, kind of stuff. Um, so I concentrated on that for the duration of Within. There's some yelly stuff in 30s Burning, but a lot of singing. And that lasted until 2005 when, for personal life reasons, I had to move over to Eastern Washington, um... The trailer we've been talking about It was in two halves Like I said I was living in one of the halves That had the power <laughs> With tarps to keep the rain That's out. what I was just about to ask Was it plastic down the side? <laughs> yep oh. So that was my living situation it Wasn't good for me to bring my kids there I had to get my life straightened out um, So I moved over with my parents Over in Coolie City Where I'm currently at It was kind of just to take a breather Um didn't plan on staying there, really. Um, then my son started struggling in school over here, and we decided to give it a try with him over there. And uh, so he moved over. In later that year, 2005, um, he was in sixth grade. So he ended up staying. Um, then my mom passed away in 2007. Then I just kind of took over the... I guess, the mom role for my dad, you know, his companion, because uh, I live with my dad right. and my son over there. So that just, I'm getting into that to tell you. Um, I wasn't playing music again for a while. So then I discovered I can record music on a laptop. Right. So I started doing my own my own stuff, and um, I recorded, I don't know, five, six songs, either it's really soft or it's really heavy, really aggressive stuff. Um. Did a couple songs for John. He had some business ventures and he needed some music. He was you know John was into wrestling. He was a wrestler. Oh, Orton. Right. Big John. Yes. Yes. So he had a he had a comeback match, a tag team match. And he wanted in he wanted intro music. So I wrote him a intro song nice. for him to go into. Go into the ring with. Then he was doing some other I think he's gonna open up a gym at one point and I did he was gonna do a commercial and I wrote a song for that. But being in a small farming town in Eastern Washington, not a big hardcore scene. <laughs> <laughs> I had no outlet. I don't. I've never heard well, Cooley City Hardcore. No. Well, CCHC. I might show you some here <laughs> after we're done. <laughs> so I was right doing my own stuff. I got approached by a bar band. There's a house band for a bar. There is a couple that moved into town. He. He's a pastor. He officiated over my mom's funeral. So I kind of got to know him there a little bit. Um, he was a musician. He was a singer. And he had his old band come out to the bar and play. A little three-piece band. Acoustic band. And I heard him and his wife harmonizing. So I was like, I want to do that. I want to I explore that part. So I approached her, I believe, with trying to do a project. My selling point was... Not selling point, but my... Vision that I told her was Emerson, Lake, and Palmer meets Allison Chains, harmony style. So that's a big Allison Chains guy. Um, She was like, That's interesting. <laughs> Next thing I know, Cliff, her husband, who's a pastor at the church there, invites me to lunch. And uh, I don't know why. I know it's something to do with music. So he approaches me with, Hey, do you want to. We need a drummer for this band. Do you want to drum? Because I had sent him a recording. I recorded a song about my mom that I wrote, had drums on it, and I told him I did all the instrumentation and the singing and everything on it. So he thought I played drums. I didn't. (laughs) So he's like, Do you want to play drums? We're, we need a drummer. We have, we've had a couple that didn't work out. I said, I don't play drums. He goes, What? I was like, No. Well, I heard you have a drum set, don't you? And I said, Yeah. It was a uh, free drum set my brother. I think it was free. <laughs> <laughs> it was sitting along. Free can s- be in quotes. Yeah, right. It was on the side of the street by a dumpster in Seattle. So and it was either missed- someone loading out or it was free. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how long it had been there, but my brother picked it up. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe someone showed up to a show and didn't have their drums that night, but I don't know. But they ended up in my possession somehow. So <laughs> it was outside the Velvet Elvis. <laughs> Could have been. <laughs> well, I a Popeye and whoever the other homeless people were out there. Do <laughs> you remember Popeye? No. Well, obviously, he looked like Popeye. Sure. The story, the story I tell everybody he was asking everybody for money because he wanted to go make a sandwich. He wanted to go get bread and meat at the store. We were in line for some show. At the Velvet Elvis? Yeah. Okay.
0: So you're in that in the alley. In the alley. This was f- like piss.
1: Piss-soaked alley. Yeah. <laughs> Three dumpsters
0: down, turn left. That's how we get into our all-ages shows That's in Pioneer right. Square. Yep. Try not to
1: get stabbed. <laughs> so I think it was a daytime show. It was it was daylight out still. Sure. Um so this guy is swindling us for money and he gets enough to make it to 7-Eleven or wherever he goes. So he turns he takes off around the corner, old guy. One eye shut. We see him walking back and he's got a brown paper bag with a bottle he looks at us down the aisle and he holds it up and goes they're all out of bread He's... <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> but that was so funny <laughs> that's 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 funny enough to be worth the money it was, it was it was for me i don't know if i donated to the cause or not but that was they're great all,
0: they're all out of bread <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh wow apparently they don't have sandwich making stuff at the liquor store no yeah, I was I, The whole time you tell me like,
0: what store are he going to go to to get sandwich stuff other than, like, the Subway? <laughs> so, anyway. All right, so. Pa- I don't the, know how the, that got on. The pastor band. Right. Drums. You got the drums from. Oh, the drums in the alley. Okay. Now, you, you don't play drums, but they want you to
1: play drums in this band. Right. I fiddled with them. I've never played, like, all the way through a song on drums. I can keep a beat. That's about as far as I would say I can go. So, they asked me if I want to try. I said, I'll try. You know, it's just. Much as I can guarantee they don't ease me into it <laughs> Friday night open bar live band. this is your tryout in front of people, yes, oh God <laughs> <laughs> it's about three hours, just playing whatever they figured I can keep up with, and apparently I kept up up with it enough to. Don't. So you, you went from not
0: playing drums to three-hour live show in a bar in front of people. Yeah. Not having practiced the songs you were playing. Right. And you were good enough to stay in the band after that. Yeah. We're going on three years now. Wow. And is it, So you were in town this weekend to play with that band? Yeah. And it's not a church band? No. It's a... What is it? It's a classic rock cover band. Classic rock cover band. Yes. And you're... Is it... The, what does the pastor do
1: in the band? He sings. He sings... And his, he's a pastor of the church. And his wife plays bass. Yes. Nice. It's really funny in that town because people will walk out from when we used to play the bar in town. We don't play it anymore because it's shut down. Our guitar player owned it. But people would leave when we were still playing, like in the middle of a song or something. They'd wave and say, see you at church in the morning? You know. Like. <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> so, yeah. So you were in town this weekend to play a, a wedding? Is a wedding reception, a wedding reception? In, in startup washington, okay, yeah, so we played that last night fun show um it lasts about four and a half hours and, and its just it's, so this is like a working
0: band, yeah, you guys book gigs, I mean this isn't this quite the same you're you're all covers, you don't do any originals.
1: we do one original that our guitar player wrote, who knows when, but we got a i think seventy one song repertoire nice um we play I think this this summer we've only had two weekends or three weekends off. Wow, we played I sent you that picture of me and Duff McKagan. yep, um we played a summerfest in Wenatchee at the town Toyota Center. we're gonna have to put weekend. that picture up on the uh yeah on the blog
0: page for this
1: yeah um yeah, so we're actually really we're really busy um what's the name of the band hometown hooligans, hometown hooligans, yeah. Which would not be a band. the The bar was named Cooligans because okay. we live in Cooley City, right? So hometown Hooligans fit with that name. If it wasn't, for, <laughs> that wouldn't be the name. If, if the situation was different, but now we're pretty well known around Eastern Washington. You can't switch that name once people know it, right? So, but yeah, I mean, we're we're getting quite a following, and that's excellent. Really busy, and, and that brings you up to the drumming, which you never did,
0: right? I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um okay, so that basically brings you, us up to now with you. Mm-hmm. Um you've got uh your website. Right. You you've got your podcast and a website. And right. your website's called Chat with Carl. Right. Now you you took an interesting approach to this different than the way I approached it. So I my my site has been going for a long time. It's called Nobody's Knows and it's ostensibly a comedy site that I started with my friend Drake. Right. Years ago, she's the uh, the shadowy figure behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. She's one of the you know she produces all these shows. Although you're the face of the operation, she's the yeah. You are actually one of the only people that's actually seen Drake in person because oh, really? because you're here she today to and here. she happened to be in town for some legal stuff that she's doing um, this week. But um, <clears throat> then she's gonna leave again for a while and just manipulate things from a distance. But you, uh, when you started your website, your uh, or your podcast, um, the podcast is be in my band. Right. But the website is chat with Carl and you've got kind of a cool take on that.
1: So tell me about your website. Well, the hopes of it, which it's, it's off to a slow start. Um, what I wanted to do, I was actually thinking about it in my head. That's kind of cool. How this happened is I remember my family always saying how they loved hearing my grandma tell stories Mm -hmm. about her, her life growing up and, her kids and all that kind of stuff. So I was thinking that would be a cool way for people to tell their stories. Is do a radio interview. Kind of a podcast interview like you did. Or like I was trying to do at the time. No more than 10 minutes after that I get a text message from a friend that his dad's dying of cancer. And he asked me if I can do a podcast with him and his dad. Oh, so they... And so they have a recording of them talking and telling these different telling stories. Telling stories, yeah. So I took that as a sign. Okay, this is probably something people would want to do. Yeah. So the site is both that, where you can hire me to come to you or whatever, to do that, or you can just listen to the podcast that I do. For sure. the Be In My Band stuff. Well, and it kind of makes sense. You've got the equipment.
0: You've yeah. got the know-how. You know how to make... The file format so people can play on their computer and, uh, you know, they, a lot of, especially older people, wouldn't understand how to even go about doing that. And those are probably the people that would be most interested in using a service like that or utilizing a
1: service like that. So I think it's, I think it's pretty brilliant. The, uh, I know people do that, but I know mostly it's like they take a tape recorder, push play and record and, yeah, someone play, tell, tell their story. I want to interact with them. Sure. Yeah. Make it feel, make them feel like you know it's important. It's an important thing for them to do, and the families can tell me what stories they want me to ask about and all that kind of stuff. Right, and you, I mean, from listening
0: to your podcast, I can tell you're easygoing, to having conversation with someone. I think yeah. even if you have known nothing about that person, you'd be able to yeah
1: to do it. Um, Which this me interviewing you will be a test. Which
0: I guess we're going into. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, let's so. let's see how good you are.
0: Okay, <laughs> this will be the test. <laughs> so we're going to switch it up now. Yeah. It's it's. Uh, I think we're caught up with where we need to be. With me. I've known you too long, and now we're segging into be in my band. Be in my band,
1: which is this would be episode number five okay. of be in my band. Um, obviously, we talked earlier. This is a different format or a different take on it. Um, I'd planned on once I ran out of former band members to move on to just interesting people, maybe people that I've had interactions with or was in the same area with same scene as um just to i i like hearing people's stories i like hearing people's past you came to mind because i can't remember i saw a post on facebook it was your interview with greg bennick oh the first the first podcast was that the first one
0: yeah the first that was the first episode of i've known you too long was greg bennick And before I had the website and was putting it up as a podcast, it was up on YouTube. Oh, okay. Um,
1: So I listened to that whole thing one shot for probably six o'clock in the morning. And I found it really interesting because I was around the scene, but I I wouldn't say I was in the scene. I was around it. So I, I remember the stories. I remember the people you were talking about. I knew about everybody you were talking about or knew who they were. But it caught my attention. I just like... This is cool. This is something that uh, I want to listen to. So I went to your website. Then I listened to Lex's. Oh, Okay, so it had been up for a little while. Yeah. Okay,
0: so you, then you listened to Lexus next.
1: Well, I listened to it probably the week before I contacted you is okay. why, when I discovered it. So Greg's Lex's, that might have been the, f- the only two that I listened to up until that point. So... Listening to yours inspired me to start mine. I started, you know, picking your brain a little bit about not really how to do it. I think, actually, I think the first thing I talked to you about was doing a documentary on music history of Snoqualmie Valley. And you told me just go for it. You know, that was your. Well, you should. Yeah. I mean, then. Especially
0: if you have a take on it that no one else has, you know, no one would know that you would maybe even want to know it until they saw what you had to present.
1: Right. So that kind of just turned into, okay, what can I podcast about that not only I'm interested in, but I think other people would be interested in. Then I just thought of, okay, I'm going to, I'm still in contact with most everybody I've ever played with. So kind of your format, when did we meet? You know, I've known you too long, but just of my musical people. So that's, that was the whole driving force behind it was that. So that's why you're one of the people I wanted to wanted to bring on um thanks man plus the the whole <laughs> I wanted to be under record label back in the day that we talked about. 'Cause so I think that I thought there was that I thought overkill was maybe too was he was that even still going at that time?
0: It was probably on its way out. Yeah. There was a little bit of stuff, but it seemed like he, he did a real push and we had said child, the last undertow thing, and strain the strain record. Okay. And then there was going to be more stuff. And then he got the gig to go out. Ron, who did Overkill, yeah. um, who we've talked about a lot so much on this podcast, and he has his own episode on here too. Yeah. Um, he got uh, to go out uh, as tour manager for Seaweed and then as Orange 9 Millimeter, and that became such a big part of his life. It was very difficult to do a label.
1: Was he, because I saw Orange 9 Millimeter trial, was that the Paramount? Corn opened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was with them at the time. Was that that tour? Yeah. Not many people can say they saw Corn. This was before they were very big. There were more, oh, people, yeah, than, yeah, there were more people in the lobby not listening to them than there were at the show. Yeah, I, I didn't see the Seattle one I saw in that show in Portland. Yeah. And I did not know what to think of them. <laughs> I knew they had a very unique sound. Yeah. Um. Yeah, anyway, yeah, I was at that show. I staged it for the first time at that show. That was your first stage dive? Yeah, well, one and only. Stage dive. <laughs> At Paramount? Yeah. Why was it only? Because I'm a big guy, and it's not safe to <laughs> stage dive. I'm a lot bigger now than I was then. Um, I stage dove on John Orton. Right. That was my plan. I don't think he caught me, but I landed on a bunch of skinheads and knocked all of them over. That was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Take the skinheads bowling. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they went down so that was cool i don't think they were the the sharps and skinheads i think they were the the real deal skinheads so anyway what i do on my my podcast is kind of similar to you i want to hear about you your history what makes you 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 seem like a you're not afraid to take risk type of a guy um wasn't afraid to take risks. Wasn't well, didn't you? Okay,
0: where were you born? I was born in Bellingham, okay, in Bellingham, Washington, 90 miles basically from where we are right now.
1: Yeah, and were you in Bellingham? In you're probably there at the same time my brother he went to Western, he graduated in '89.
0: Yeah, I graduated from high school in '89. Okay, so he would have been up at Western. All the time that I was going up there and skateboarding, those dudes were annoyed and throwing
1: shit out of their dorms at us, and because <laughs> yeah. uh, we skated at the at the at Western all the time. Okay, so that's that's kind of my only experience with Bellingham. I wouldn't visit him, but he, yeah, he went to college up there. So Bellingham, okay, born raised, uh, born and raised in Bellingham. you want
0: my background? Yeah. Okay, so I grew up in the same house, like we never moved. My parents were together the whole time. Um, we were, uh, a couple miles outside of town, right, almost on the border between Bellingham and Ferndale. Okay. So I always went to the same schools right after I got into junior high, they switched the board. They kind of redrew the borders and my younger sisters had to go to the Ferndale school district. So they had to switch out. And for a few years they went there or a couple years they went there and then the borders were redrawn again. And then we were back in Bellingham, but it didn't. It, it wasn't, it didn't change middle school. So I stayed with the same kids in the same class and the same group of people. I always had a lot of stability. Mm-hmm. um And so that, and I was terrified of that changing. And that was something oh. that growing up. So I was always uh terror. I wasn't like very smart, but I wasn't a stupid kid. Like, I don't think right. there was any chance I was going to get held back, but I was always horrified. Like the idea that I might not be with the same kids, in the same classes, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. was, was terrifying to me. I wanted, I always wanted stability. And I think that has a big deal. That's a big part of why, when I discovered straight edge, I was like, Oh, a way to control my situation even more. You right. know? Um, but that was quite a bit later. Um, so you said you lived on the out the, in the country
1: of Bellingham. Yes. So that's where the border, that's where that comes in.
0: Yeah. Like the, cause Ferndale is a much smaller town, more of a County town. Okay. Um, outside of, of Bellingham and Bellingham is 30 mi- not quite 30 miles from the Canadian border. Right. So we're real close to Canada. Um, and then, so everything, there's a lot of farmland and stuff around it. Bellingham, when I was a kid had 65,000 people in it. So it wasn't even big, but it was still considered the city to all those small towns that dotted the area. See, around that, sound, it.
1: that sounds funny. Not a very big, the town I live in right now is 300 people. <laughs> right. Okay. So that's,
0: so we were out close to those kinds of places, Right. but we were still involved in Bellingham stuff and being bused into the Bellingham schools and stuff. But we were like, there was no city bus that came out to where we lived and we couldn't get cable. Like we, for, until I was in, you know, uh, for, for years we weren't serviced by the water Like, we we were just in this weird kind of middle zone. Like, what are you? Are you county? Are you city? So there was a lot of interesting stuff. And most of my experience up until I was able to get out on my own. And getting out on my own meant getting a a bicycle Mm -hmm. and enough freedom that my parents would let me right away from the house and not know where I was going. Cause as soon as that was the case, I could ride into town on my bicycle. I could go to stores. I could go play video games. I could do, you know, and it's not so like how now, far out of town. Two right. miles. Okay. So, um, I would, I would do that. And once that was the case, then it was, yeah, you know, I could go in and actually do stuff. And then from there I go from, you know, become a punk rocker and a skateboarder and all that. But, um, when I was younger, you know, we were just County kids. So we played, you know the neighborhood kids would we'd get together and we would play football, mm-hmm. or, or we would go hunting. We'd get like BB guns and pellet guns, and we'd go try to shoot birds in the woods, or we'd go mm-hmm. build. We, there was a creek that ran from the woods, like out there. There was a, a couple different fields that went out to a wooded area, maybe like half a mile out from the back of my house, and we would always go out there and try to build like a dam. I'm like dam up the creek, <laughs> and we dig holes. We just do all this crap, build forts, like yeah. whatever. You know, we play war all day, just stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and so that was, you know, I wasn't, um, I wasn't a, an athletic kid. I wasn't good. Like, I mean, I was the slowest runner, the smallest kid, mm-hmm. couldn't, you know, catch a ball. <laughs> but I was still, you know, that was still my thing. I was getting out there, and we were gonna, you know, I was gonna get into it. So, so it was more of a wooded area. Yeah. Okay. So like. Fields with no trees out for like to like a half mile and then just woods okay. that would go back. And, and we didn't go too far out into that because by the time you got to the woods, you were far enough away from the house that you could almost not hear someone calling for you. So kind of the rule was we couldn't go. We, we could only go as far away as someone could yell for us to come back. Okay. So we pretty much made the the edge of the woods our border. Yeah. And there was, you know, I mean, there were coyotes out there and there, were, there was a herd of cows that they would bring in every year for a certain number you know to graze out there so we would torment them <laughs> and we'd find anthills and beehives and throw rocks at them. i mean just we were just awful kids you know <laughs> right. but i think of it more like i definitely think of it more like we're not city kids we were yeah you know we came home muddy and bleeding right all the time yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so that was that was my youth you know and that the only other thing is uh they took me to see star wars and Fucked everything up because then I was just obsessive science fiction nerd kid. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's funny you say you can't go go as far as someone can yell to get you back. That's that's how we knew when to come home. My dad would stand outside the house, uh-huh. whistle, he had oh, a, whistle. He had a whistle that you can hear throughout the whole trailer court. That's <laughs> when we knew dinner was uh-huh. so. right.
0: Well, so you you might be out of sight. Oh yeah, we were definitely out of sight. So the one good thing about the way the layout was. Where, where my house was when we were there. I mean, if we went to a, a, another kid in the neighborhood's house, it was whatever rules kind of applied to the kids in that neighborhood, you know. Right. Um, or that, that per, you know, if you were in the neighbor kid's yard, it was like their parents' rules, mm-hmm. you know. Some kids couldn't leave the yard. They couldn't leave the fenced-in area. But if they came over to our house, no, we were going. We were we were, tr- we were going to spend the whole day out in the woods, you know, or out near the woods. So when you say neighbor, how far apart were your, your neighbors' neighbors? Well, we had uh there were there were kids that that lived in a house just adjoining ours, mm-hmm. and we were the only two houses on that side of the road, like both houses were surrounded by fields like okay. on either side yeah. so if you if you were driving out uh Northwest Road that I grew up on, you would just come to a part where there were fields on both sides, and then there'd be two houses on the left and one house on the right there were some old people that lived in that house on the right, and the two houses on the left were the Petersons. Mm-hmm. most of my life and us <laughs> and uh so then so we that was a lot of kids that lived kind of in houses like further up would come down to our our house to play because we had like a big yard so we could play football in it. right we had apple trees and pear trees and things like that so we could eat fruit you know if it was summertime we have to we go could, home to eat. <laughs> we could snack out there you know <laughs> yeah. or we could and just you know there was all kinds of ways to get in trouble and and hurt right so that was the kind of stuff that we did out there yeah. um and yeah, so it was weird though, because if you know you could pretty much walk out on the back porch of my parents' house and and without saying anything, you could just scan the area and figure out where the kids were for the okay. most part
1: yeah, so you mentioned you had an older
0: brother is that, mm-hmm. is that the only two kids I had two younger sisters, okay um and I have an older brother who is six years old, older than me mm-hmm. um and yeah, everyone let me see uh my the closest so one of my sisters is down in Oregon and uh, the sister that's closest to me in age is a sheriff's deputy in Bellingham. Oh, really? In Whatcom County, yes, wow. yes. Nice. We 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 run the
1: gamut in my family. <laughs> <laughs> What's your brother do? Um, we don't know, or you can't say.
0: You know, I like to think that my brother and my sister are kind of in the same industry from different points of view. <laughs>
1: Do they talk to each other and the other? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're good. My brother. No, I mean from opposite sides of the bar, opposite or- <laughs> sides of the glass.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. He, uh, uh, right now, my brother's kind of transitioning in between stuff, and and for the last couple of years, I've been uh, I've been hooking him up and helping him uh, sell stuff on eBay and get into online sales and things. Okay, he, he he was in you know he was married for a while. You know there was some tragedy. Okay. I, I'm like I'm not gonna go into details because it his, it's his life and his story to tell. He might not be in the one wanting it told at this point. Right. But He's you know let's just say in my life, people who've known me have known that uh, issues with my brother have have been a thing for me. Um, uh, part of the part of the reason I went straight edge was because he had substance abuse issues, and they weighed heavily on me as his younger brother. Okay. Um, and uh, that is all behind him now, yeah. and he's fifty. Good. So it's a long time to have gone to put that stuff behind you. So it's all, it's very good. It's, it's a good part. It's a good story now. Good. Yeah. <laughs> but as for what he does right now, he does online sales. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, is he still in Washington? Yeah, he's up in Bellingham. With okay. My parents and uh, my, my sister, who's the, the sheriff's deputy is up there. And uh, both my parents are still up there and a lot of my family. Once I got out of Bellingham though, I stayed
1: out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My family's kind of spread. Got a brother in Hawaii. Got a brother in Woodenville. Then I'm in Cooley City. Do you ever get to Hawaii? I've been there twice. Went there for what part? Uh, Maui. Um, I've been to Maui. Okay. I I've been twice. My brother, yeah, it's interesting. He first time I went, um, he had planned. He bought all of us tickets to go. Me, my brother, my mom, and my dad. My mom passed away before she got a chance to go. Oh. Um, he was a pretty success- successful guy, so <clears throat> he was working for Starbucks. So we got to go for that um, corporate office Starbucks. Um, Starbucks. Sure. We got to go over for that. Then the next time we went over was for his wedding. But interesting, the weekend before his wedding, he was competing in the Iron Man World Championships. Oh, really? Yeah. Very fit, very athletic guy. Um,
0: the Iron Man that's not where they really, like they throw the giant, like they they throw the big barrels up in the
1: air. No, that's strong. That's strong man. Okay, so, Iron Man is you swim two and a half miles, you bike ride, I think, for 118, then you run a marathon. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so something I'll never do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, join the club. So that's 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 what he does. Um so yeah, we're we're pretty different. Um, so six year how are your sister how much younger are your sisters? Um the sister who's a sheriff's deputy is uh
0: two years younger than me. Okay. And my younger sister, Andrea, is oh, I don't wanna get this wrong. She's I think <laughs> six years younger than me.
1: Oh, okay.
0: So my brother's from a different marriage.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. He has a different mother. Was he in the same house?
0: Growing up? Yeah. Uh he, until he was um like fifteen and then he lived with my grandmother when he was in high school um you know he was it it was the seventies yeah. and he was getting into all kinds of trouble mm-hmm. and i think uh it, it was kind of you know it was just it was rough it was a rough time and it was also that period of time <sighs> so this is my family uh, uh i grew up very religious okay being taken from you know we went to lutheran church and then that wasn't enough and then we got we went to pentecostal church which is holy roller speaking in tongues i've seen a lot of crazy stuff um so uh at that time he it was the late 70s and he was into uh he was into a lot of like metal and like music that was we were being told suddenly was very satanic with backwards messages Mm -hmm. and and so, my mother, who had always been okay with rock music, suddenly it was it was evil. My father just hated rock music right, so he was just down for fine, I don't want it in my house anyway, you know, so they had these really, really brutal, vicious fights over music, and uh that was part of the thing. It just caused a really huge rift, and it was so i mean it was bad it was all there was always some kind of chaos or fight and And, you know, it was one of those when if you ever see a movie and I don't know why this is something about the late 70s, Mm but if you ever see a movie where a mother freaks out and rips posters off the wall and the perfect example of this is Boogie Nights Mm -hmm. before Mark Wahlberg's character bails on his mom right and she comes in the room and she's screaming and she's ripping the posters down that is so reality that is one of the realest things i've ever seen in a movie (laughs) because i was in one bedroom over just crying like while this was happening you know and like holes were getting punched in walls and stuff it was awful Wow. so um so yeah he ended up finishing out high school for my grandmothers and that brought a lot of calm to the house which was good And and she was in bellingham
1: your grandmother Yep.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um and in the movie that I made The Edge of Coral, mm-hmm. which you may have seen, maybe not, I don't know. I did. Uh there's a rumble scene at the end. Right. That's at my grandmother's um property. Okay. And where the that's the field behind it and when the when Aaron Edge and his guys come running down, they they and come out there's like a bunch of fruit trees that kind of run underneath like uh there's a little like cabin behind that. My brother lived in that cabin for years, like his oh. his bedroom and stuff. And so and we actually had <laughs> Uh, we had some of the bands that um, a band that I was in and a band that my friends like Bill Baker sang for we practiced in um, that cabin also oh really like for a while she let us have band practice there because we didn't nice. have a place to do it so the
1: scene that was the punks versus straight edges edgers versus the hillbillies that, that's yes that, that's, that's, that's that the scene right? in the Edge of Edge quarrel Coral <laughs> where the where the random rednecks just show up out of nowhere and force <laughs> John unity John was the one I wanted
0: the, big oh, yeah oh yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs>
1: <laughs> I actually watched it in 10 minute segments on YouTube
0: oh yeah you can do that, that. Um, alright thank you I guess sorry that's what I say. I, usually say I usually say thank you and sorry to people Yeah, that was a long time ago when I came up with those ideas for it I'm there's still stuff in there I'm proud of yeah. it'd be a different movie today if yeah. I made it
1: yeah
0: <laughs> um, I still write screenplays I'm still involved in filmmaking alright but I'm not Doing, I mean, with that one, I wrote it, filmed it, directed it, edited it. I mean, I did. It was completely.
1: I remember when it was going on. I remember when it was happening. Yeah. Yeah. It took two years. It was crazy. Oh, did it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm
0: not, uh, I'm, I'm not doing it that way again. I, I, I like to write and then try to see if my stuff can get made. Other oh, okay. other competent
1: people with good judgment can okay. see what they can do with my words. That's what I like. <laughs> good. Uh, the reason, okay, I guess I was trying to get a dynamic of your house. Oh. So your dad, so your brother wasn't in the house when you were like a teenager then? No, no. Okay, so was it, you were the big brother? What's that? So you were the big brother in that house? Oh, I was the big, yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. So that was your role? But see, also, also not. Also, also had a big brother who was, you know, it was it was, right. it was odd. It was, it was kind of both. I was the oldest son to my mother, but she also had my brother as adopted older son you know what i mean right. so yeah i don't and it's it's weird because he since he wasn't there for so much of it it didn't i don't know that it, that it oh my god i don't know i could be wrong i didn't know that it had a, a big impact yeah and then i wasn't i mean once i was skateboarding and stuff once i once i once i get to the point where i feel like i take a little bit of control in my life mm-hmm. i'm not there okay you know it's i'm out i'm not doing my thing yeah so from 16 from 14 15 when I was really trying to break out on my own I was just gone whenever I could be I'd ride a bike out of there I you know um once I got into once I was skateboarding and I had a driver's license forget about it like right. I slept there
1: you know that was basically <laughs> it until yeah. until 18 when I bailed and got my own place so okay so you weren't a troublemaker per se you you just didn't like the rules of your parents house I was not a
0: troublemaker right I Never in my life understood the idea of one of I, well, and I don't know. See, this is I, I struggle with this to this day. I don't understand where the hell people are coming from. Okay. Like it's I always felt like I go out with friends and they'd want to do they'd want to like go like throw apples at cars or or toilet paper at someone's house or do something like that. You know, like like the going out and getting into trouble like for the sake of it. And sometimes some of that was actually kind of fun. I mm-hmm. do a little bit, but I always I was always a guy that was like, hey, no, let's stop right we're going to get caught and i sometimes felt like part of the process was the getting caught for people like let's see where what happens right i felt like i knew exactly <laughs> what was going to happen no i don't want the, i don't want a record right. like i yeah. i want the trust that i have right now to only expand i don't want to take any steps backward i'm not going to get caught doing anything and i don't have a desire to 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 create mischief right. i want to start creating solid things that are mine. Yeah. So I was always, you know, and it was the same way when everybody, once everybody, once we got in high school, everyone wanted to drink. Mm -hmm. I I didn't have a problem with drinking, but I wanted to go to someone's house where we were going to be in for the night and drink and have a good time. Whereas a lot of times people wanted to go out and have the adventure of how do we get it now? How do we not get caught and still get home? Right. And I wanted nothing to do with that (laughs) whatsoever. Yeah. Um, We're pretty similar
1: in that, I think, then. Yeah. I never went looking. I didn't shy away from it, I would say. Nothing. I mean, I didn't do anything major. Um, I think probably the most dangerous thing I did was I was camping with a friend. Um, It's a church camp out. (laughs) He's a Mormon. Mm -hmm. So it was that by the pass, out of the pass somewhere. Um, But we snuck out, me and him and another guy, to the median of I-90, where the weeds are. <laughs> yeah. And waited for semis to come by, and we would huck rocks at the trailers of the semis coming by as hard as we could. But you were trying to hit the trailers. Trailers, yeah. Right. At least you weren't trying to hit the cab. <laughs> right. And you were in the median, so you're in the median strip between both directions. Right. We had one turnaround. He got to the next turnaround and came back and shined his flashlight in the-
2: Oh the spotlight <laughs> looking for us. Wow. We hit
1: the deck. That's a guy with some time. Yeah. We we me and my friend were scared. We hit the deck. Then we were with this other guy crazy, dude. He stood up with his flashlight and started flashing, <laughs> flashing him back at him. <laughs> Just egging him on. <laughs> Cause we knew he wasn't getting out of his truck and do anything on the freeway, but yeah. But that is such a so how old were you? High school at that point that's bold
0: yeah and see <laughs> the thing is though there's there's that what are you gonna do mm-hmm. Th- that that person who stands up and shines a light back that I don't want I don't need to know yeah here My, I can envision all the things that can happen here <laughs> yeah What if this trucker decides that this is the time he's going to put his
1: foot down no more? He's got a gun
0: and you're the example.
1: I think I have more... I think I have selective memory of what I did as a kid. Because when I hear other people talk about me, it seems like they're talking about something different than I am now, obviously, because I've grown up. I've had a couple running truckers. (laughs) I don't know why. (laughs) My friend ended up with a CB once in his car. He was borrowing his dad's truck or something and had a CB on it, so... I got on a trucker channel and I started just talking shit to this guy. Obviously, he was driving and he didn't know where I was. We're out in North Bend by the McDonald's out there or whatever. I was just flipping him so much shit, telling him to come fight me and all this kind of stuff. Oh no! Not thinking anything of it, and he goes, "I know where you are. You're out that. You're out of the North Bend by the McDonald's." It's like, oh shit! How did he know you were there? Because he was like, Cause was in range, probably." <laughs> <laughs> I still think I told him to come down. Okay. You come fight me. Yeah, then I took off. <laughs> come
0: to the McDonald's.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't a fighter. I didn't know how to fight. I've never been in a fight in my life.
0: There's a, oh, my God. <laughs> there's a prank phone call that is like the, the, the king of all prank phone calls. Forget Jerky Boys, right? Right. It's um, it's the Amanda White prank phone call. Huh. Um, and it's a dude who... Basically calls this guy and is talking about Amanda White, who's the guy's wife. And he's just making up stories. And the guy is losing his mind. And then near the end, if you've heard this phone call, you know what I'm talking about. But yeah, anybody listening, you can just type Amanda White prank in the into YouTube and there's multiple versions of it up. And it's yeah. awful, but it's astounding how long it goes. And the guy in the other line is trying to set up the fight where are you going to meet me? Really? He's like, I do, you know, you do sound serious. The guy that's doing the phone goes like, and, and it's like, <laughs> let's meet at the McDonald's. And then a- is acting like which, you know, he doesn't know which McDonald's the guy means. And right. It's just, Oh, and again, <laughs> and the is like freaking out and scream. I'm going to bring my gun. He's like, uh, you, you, do want you fight me regular. He's like, <laughs> you gotta hear it regular. <laughs> you fight me regular. <laughs> you would be bring a gun you pussy it's just oh it's so it's so it's, it's hilarious but then when you realize how mad the guy that he's pranking actually is it's like okay someone someone took the brunt of that
1: you know <laughs> unfortunately it was probably Amanda White probably. which and he, they awful. never showed the, the, he never cleared it up before the phone call was over oh he keeps telling that's the
0: thing he keeps you'll hear it when you listen to it he keeps telling the guy it's a prank he's like it's a prank asshole hang up the phone and then when the guy won't hang up he just goes another direction with it and near the end of it he's like oh, you don't know who this is man i got you riled up i got you riled up bro he starts acting like he's maybe a friend of his uh-huh. and then the dude's just like i don't know who you are <laughs> <laughs> he <got here. laughs> But it's the it has a very part of what makes it, I think so amazing is you know there's a real dark edge to that because yeah. that guy's that guy's total anger got taken out on somebody. No, I had to. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you okay? We're to the point where you have your car, your license. Yeah, I jumped ahead to that definitely. Okay. So um, the the crucial the the key things for me, um was was hearing you know punk rock music. Okay, and I was. And I was searching for an identity so hardcore in like junior high.
1: So you you said your brother was metal.
0: He was in metal. ACDC. Kind of. I mean, you know, it's funny now because now that I know like metal people, he wasn't like that. He was just like a seventies rocker dude who was into okay. ACDC.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, and I liked I liked that stuff, but it was. I always I I I've, for whatever reason I I gravitated to a lot of like um, more melodic music. You know, I loved. I loved that 80s new wave stuff. Okay. But I also loved Van Halen and I also loved ACDC a little bit like Back in Black. And I, yeah. I, 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 you know, I loved, uh, but, but once it would get like, like when Motley Crue was a big deal, I remember thinking that first, I remember thinking eh, a little too much, a little mm-hmm. too much for me. Maybe right. I'll, you know, I, I, it's cool, but I like that kind of like the way they look, but I can't get this through the door at my house. Right. right. I can't, I can watch the video shows. I can, you know, and there's some, you know, there's rock stuff on there. But with, when the, when Motley crew comes on, I got to change the channel because if mom walks in and sees that TV's going <laughs> on, it, like she might cut the plug or something just yeah. to make sure the cord to make sure I can't watch this evil anymore. Right. So yeah. I, but what ended up happening. So I was, you know, I don't know. I loved Rat. Rat was a big deal to me for some reason. I oh, thought yeah, they were I've very cool. <laughs> um, but a friend of mine, uh, one day when we were just getting like getting into high school, wasn't sure we weren't sure what the deal was. We were just kind of weird kids. Uh, he, someone gave him a suicidal Tenancies cassette, and we went walking to Seven Eleven from his dad's house, mm-hmm. and he played that cassette all the way the couple mile walk to Seven Eleven, we got Slurpees and we walked back and that walk changed my whole perception because yeah I couldn't get that through the door I mean like that was gonna get listened to on headphones but I was gonna listen to that every day like I need this I need a tape of this I you know and then right after that he started looking around for more stuff so for a little while he was providing me the music the, the music that I was listening to and he went right from that into Sex Pistols was it a a boom box? It was a boom box. Absolutely. I think we called it ghetto blaster. Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) And, uh, it was, his name was Sean day and I'm, I'm going to, uh, do a podcast with him. Cool. Uh, we, we've talked about it. Sean got in a ton of fights in high school. He was like our champion. I think, yeah, I remember you were, And we talked recently. He says he, he knows the number of fights and he remembers every one of them and why. So really? I'm going to travel to him wow. and we're going to do a podcast. That's just the fight discussions. <laughs> oh, wow. I think it's going to be great. <laughs> Where's he at? <laughs> he's uh, I think he's in a long view. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, that's where he's at now. But so he, he really like, and I had heard sex pistols before, like listening to the radio late at night and, and thought it was interesting. There was always anytime I heard that weird stuff. And that's, that's also the reason why that new wave, that mid eighties new wave, that kind of like new romantic thing that they refer to it. I'd see Adamant or I'd see these guys and I always thought almost there was like this thing that was tugging at me. Like mm-hmm. this is almost something you want, but it's too weird. Like they're still just wearing makeup and being strange. They're just playing wimpy music versions of the guys in makeup that are playing the rock stuff, <laughs> but right. there's something else. I know there is, there's something else for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then I'd hear something like the cure and be like, Oh, this is this isn't like the other stuff. This is weirder, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I that was kind of on the back burner. There were some Cure songs that got kind of big when I was in junior high, and I remember thinking that those were something special. So anyway, um, got into this punk rock stuff and was like, here it is. This is what I want. This is great. And it was I was getting into skateboarding, and that was all connected with that. And then I got into uh, a car to to t- get a ride with someone to go skateboarding, and the dude had a Seven Seconds cassette, mm. and that it was Walk together, rock together. Um, and he started playing that and never turned back. Like it was just, that became the most important band in my life. And I knew exactly what I wanted. I wanted that like positive, melodic, hardcore style that, and it just, everything else kind of became the foundation. And I built off of that.
1: I can probably safely say I've never heard a seven second song. You've never heard a seven second song. Okay. Well, um, you know, I did
0: two part interview with Kevin. I listened to, I
1: think the first one.
0: Okay, the first part very cool. Uh, the The second part is a lot different because he tells all of his backstory in the in the first episode, and the second one we get into a lot of other details and a lot of other things. Um, I know that half as many people have listened to the the second part as the first. And the first one is two hours; it's a long commitment, you know. But there's a lot of, especially if you're someone who um, digs straight edge, mm-hmm. any of that history. We get into that in the okay. second one, so I definitely have a soft spot for the stuff we talk
1: about in the second one. Right. Okay, so we had to take a little break there. I think where we're we at the Ghetto Blaster trip to seven. Ghetto Blaster trip. I heard seven seconds
0: in a guy's car, and that put me on like the path literally to today. Oh, and I I brought up the Cure bands like the Cure, right, right, right. and what I discovered. I think Soda and I talked about this a little bit <clears throat> is that um, I always kind of liked those bands, and I did feel like bands like the Cure and the Smiths and Depeche Mode and stuff like that. A lot of the the girls that I was interested in. Mm. liked those bands a lot and wanting to be around those ladies. Mm -hmm. And that was the music they listened to. And I discovered, well, this isn't bad. Like some of this is pretty creative (laughs) and pretty good. Plus they don't necessarily like the screaming and yelling a lot, you know, a little bit, you know, like my high school girlfriend, like minor threat in seven seconds, a little bit, but she was much more into the cure, you know? So it was a way to have something in common with, with hot new wave girls. Mm -hmm. So I don't care how uncool any dude anywhere <laughs> thinks that music is, because
1: <laughs> um I will I wanted to hang out with hot New wave girls. So. Right, yeah. I can't believe we went through my whole podcast. And I didn't mention Kiss. Oh Kiss. Oh my God, that was my whole childhood. Really? Okay. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, we were not allowed and, to have
0: Kiss in the house at my house. And
1: you're we talking about did my mom think it was evil? She bought me the Peter Chris solo album when I think I she I think she said I asked for it when I was like three. And she just thought it was a cute little painted-up clown or whatever. She didn't really know. Oh, yeah, yeah, I no, know. Were, was, I don't know what she got. I don't know she It was either knights in Satan's service or kids, kids in Satan's, Satan's service. service.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like, depending on which church you went to, I think, was <laughs> right. which one it was. Um, Yeah. 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 Those clowns were evil. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> those, those precursor insane clown posse dudes <laughs> were evil.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that was, that was my childhood it was, was kissing this so... It was always hair metal stuff like that. Anyway. I know, but it, it, music just felt like a revolution. Like,
0: especially music that said, I am different, I am this, and this is what I'm trying to do. I wanted purpose to it. So, I like, Sex Pistols was cool because it was just fly in the face of authority Yeah, and, you know, be, be loud. And Suicidal was cool because it was funny and dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. The guy screaming, I shot Reagan, i will do it again and again and again, right? All that, you know, that was like, oh, my God. You you can say that. And actually, no, I don't think you can say that, but he did. <laughs> right. right. But like seven seconds opened me up to a world of music that said, and then shortly after that minor threat that said, Hey, fuck your society. I want to live my life like this. Yeah. And then, so that leads to straight edge and boom, from there, it's just a, so seven seconds of straight edge. No.
1: They're not straight edge.
0: No. Kevin actually brought that up. I brought up the fact that I'd seen pictures of him with X's on his hands. And then he tells a story of how pictures of him in the band with X's on his hands come about. Mm -hmm. And it's a great story. Everyone go listen to the second Kevin Seconds episode because it's got Henry Rollins in it. It's got some good stuff. Yeah. Um, So
1: you didn't know him personally
0: um, I was much. back, Back then, he became... Like my hero, like right. every, every lyric that I read, I was just like, oh my God. And I wanted to know more about him. And I, I would, you know, read interviews and I, you know, but in the nineties, I met him a number of times. Okay. Um. And I, I wrote, you know, I would write something in the zine about him and then I'd send that zine to him and he'd like send back a nice letter. So we had a little bit of interaction, like to to where when they, when seven seconds would play, I'd go up and say, Kevin, what's up? And he'd say, Hey man, how you doing? You know? Okay. And so, you know, we weren't buddies, but yeah. a little, you know, we knew, knew of each
1: other. Right. Um, me more so of him than him of me, for sure. So that that's probably a little less of I've known you too long.
0: Yeah. Although, since I fall, fo- I mean, since I've you followed, felt like you've known him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He right. he was present. Okay, I'm not present in his life, but he was present in right. my life from six, you know, from 15 forward, basically. Okay. Um. Yeah, in a way. Right. <laughs>
1: Influencing me. Okay. So listening to your other podcast you've get, you've gotten into a little bit you know you t- you've asked people when when they claimed edge or whatever mm-hmm. what that means is for some people listening to mine you may not know what straight edge is it's a lifestyle that is no drugs no alcohol supposed to be abstaining from sex i i believe depending on how strict you are with is that how you the believe guidelines. it <laughs> that's what i've heard right
0: um there are reasons for people to think that okay um, the guy who wrote the lyrics that people are basing it on says that's not what he meant. So,
1: Oh, okay. So which is who Ian MacKay? Okay.
0: It's from the song out of step. Okay. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't fuck. At least I can fucking think. Okay. He claims that you can't put the word up after the word fuck in that song. Cause it's too many syllables. It was supposed to be, I don't fuck up. Really? He says that. He he does, and I've read this. I've am I am paraphrasing him, but he says he doesn't associate the word fuck with his sex life. Okay, that's a negative word. So so you know, at, I think he's probably wrong. I think not. He's probably wrong, but I think at the time it was probably more idealistic, and it went quickly out the window. Like okay. you're not going to find a lot of straight edge people that believe that they shouldn't have a sex life. That's kind of correct. Right.
1: What is the history? I don't. I guess we don't need this. That that stretched this out. Is he this the founding person of Straight Edge? Ian Mackay wrote the song Straight Edge that Minor Threat performed. Okay.
0: Um and that essentially started it. I mean that that is well, I mean there was there were little things. I mean the whole idea of the X on the hand comes from before from him being his band of teen idols. And it, there's a I'm not gonna do justice to the whole history of it here, but well, the but once the- that song comes out and Minor Threat becomes a big deal and people know about it. The experiment has gone has gone crazy like it's out. It's outside of whatever border that anyone thought there would be once people that you've never met that you have heard your song and have decided, oh, yeah, that's me. I'm straight edge. And this is what it's about. And people are forming scenes around that. You can't, you know, right. So he, life I, of its own. I think he likes it, but I think he's always been a little bit like, what? Mm -hmm. I started what? And you can hear you. There are different interviews with Ian out there where you can kind of see his different responses to this. And he's he's always been awesome. Everything I've ever heard him say about it was awesome. I've heard I've seen I've I've read it in print. I've seen video and I've heard him talk about it in person. And it's always been great. And then I've heard other people say that supposedly he said this and he said that it's just people talking shit. Yeah. And no one ever saw Ian drunk or smoke.
1: (laughs) Right. Have you seen have you seen any of the Foo Fighters? Sonic Highway. Um, yeah, a little bit. I saw the DC one. Yeah, that's almost all. That's almost all Ian McKay. Did them I mean, the majority of that was that was pretty interesting. Um, he's an interesting
0: guy. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, there's so much there we could talk about. Um, but so you said something interesting to me when we were on a break. You said that that you didn't call yourself straight edge, but you no.
1: didn't ever do anything. No. Um, I probably drank a total of maybe five. Drinks total, tubing a beer, tubing Bartles and James wine cooler, which I they came right back up. <laughs> they do make the bathroom smell nice. And I think I tried- I drank <laughs> a lot of wine coolers when I was younger. Some s- souse, what was the name of that stuff? Clear. Zima. Zima.
0: <laughs> Sorry. Zima's just funny to me because <laughs> Bill Baker sold out on
1: Zima. That's right, Bill.
0: I'm telling you story, buddy.
1: <laughs> yeah, but um, I the scene, the straight scene was comfortable to me because I didn't drink, um, smoke, do drugs. I just found it kind of silly, I guess, the notion that you have to claim it or project it or put the X's on your hand. I was just like, just live it, you know, just be it. But you see, and that, that
0: makes so much sense to me coming from, from what you just described, because for you, that was just, w- why would you put a name on something you already were? Right. Right. And right. so, but like for me, it was, I can break out of, I don't have to be my brother. Okay. I don't have to be this thing that's upset. Obs- that's bothering me about all these people around me. That it's expected of me mm-hmm. and I don't want, I don't really want to do it. You know I mean? I, like, f- so for me, it was a way to put, it was like, it was like putting on armor mm-hmm. that worked both ways, I guess. Like yeah. it protected me from myself at times when I would have done something stupid because yeah. I didn't care. Cause you go through phases, right? Like straight edge is great when you need it mm-hmm. and it's just something you should remember not to throw away when you feel like you don't, if it's something that is great for you when you need it, it sounds to me like it was never something you felt like you needed. No. And I can imagine from looking from that perspective that it looks the kind of asinine. Yeah. And, and I love it. (laughs) I love the, I love the crappy parts of it. Okay. I love straight edge. So, I mean, you would have been something that like straight edge people would have been thrilled to have, you know, if you, if you were like totally down, but it's a kind of a commitment though. Then it's kind of like, you got to get in and learn like, what the rules are.
1: Right. (laughs) And it's definitely seemed like it was a club, you know, it's a, it's a scene. And I was friends with everybody. You know, I was never not friendly with anybody in the scene. I was always accepted. Yeah. No one ever even asked really if I was straight edge. It's almost like it's a bigger problem. If you like,
0: if you're never straight edge, then no one ever has any expectation based around that. Yeah. But if you're straight edge, then in five years we're gonna have questions if we see you drinking.
1: Right, right. So, right. I was kind of the mystery kind of person in that because I was always around you know John or Straight Edge. I was always around uh, Or Orton, mm-hmm. um, Brian Gantz, um, Brian Keith. All those all those guys were all Straight Edge and stuff at the time. So I was around it and I was very aware of it, and that's where that's mo- m- mostly where we played. Once within was around was straight edge shows. Um, nobody in the band was straight, no one really partied, but no one. My brother drank a little bit. Adam, no, actually, our guitar player Adam was straight at the time, but he was he felt the same way I did. Yeah, it it just wasn't us, wasn't our thing, but it was cool to be around.
0: Yeah, and it and like you know, that's the thing though. For a lot of straight edge people, that that X they were drawing on their hands was an alternative, yeah, to what they what they would be doing if they if they weren't limiting themselves, you know. Right. And there're probably people out there that would argue that that's a terrible thing. I don't. No, you know, cuz everybody's different, you know. I I I think that probably the reason it's worked so well for me is cuz I also have had a lot of the same. Like it's not really for me. I had fun drinking. I never wanted to do any drugs. Right. And I had bad personal experiences with family seeing drugs. So, um, but I did think that 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 opinion might change as I got older and mm-hmm. did not want it to happen. Right. So, yeah. Once so you're still, still, I'm 44 years old. And I'm still straight edge. Yeah. Um, since I was 16 years old See, and happy. Then here's the thing. I mean, honestly, I'm 44 years old. Right. What, what, what do I need to go out and tell anybody I'm straight edge for? Right? <laughs> right. I just, I know the date. I know the date. I know I went straight edge on August 15th of 1987. Okay. And I know the date cause that's the date I opened up my skateboard shop. In Bellingham, right. um, which I wrote an article about it on the it's on nobody's no site. Um, and so it's been an easy thing to remember and keep track of. Um, but, you know, it's like the funny thing is, like, I, I worked in a casino. I worked in some different poker rooms a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I did that for about seven years. And that's actually the hardest time I've ever had in my life. Not drinking. Really? Not because of. I wanted to drink, but because of the pressure from other people in that environment, if you're a person that works in that environment, you're supposed to be kind of a hospitality person. Right. So if you don't drink, that means you're also not going to be buying people drinks. Right. And now you're not as valuable because the customers aren't going to like you as much because you're not drinking with them on the off hours. It's all part of that job. So I definitely got like really, really hardcore, like you're drinking pressure. tonight and you're de- yeah. and I'd be like, Fuck no. So it's weird. Weirdly, I did have an experience in my late thirties and early forties of the I'm more pressure. straight edge than ever because to <laughs> hell with you guys. But right. I-, I didn't expect that. You know? Yeah,
1: that's weird. Um, me. Yeah. I guess I've never had. That's one thing I've just never had the desire, even drinking until, you know, when I was younger, I, I wanted to, just to experience it. But like being in the bar band and stuff, never felt the need. People here I've never been drunk. That's their goal. We're going to get you drunk. Yeah. That's their goal. Yeah. You, know? you don't know what you're missing, man. Right.
0: But really, I haven't been watching what I'm missing <laughs> I know for exactly the last few decades.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All I know is I'm very, very attracted to drunk 50-year-old women. Do you know how talented you are? Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Hold on. I'm taking control of this for a minute.
0: You are very attracted to drunk 50 year old women? Attractive to oh, attractive. I thought you said attract dead. <laughs> no. And I'm like, dude, tell some stories. So no, attractive to Nice. Yeah. Are are they attractive?
1: No. <laughs> Not attractive. Nobody's attractive when they're drunk to me. Oh. Nobody. Okay. I see past I see past the looks and it's just done i i have no no reason to be involved well also you're in a band with
0: the pastor, so if you're like trying to you know yeah score the milf, he might be a little upset no
1: he's a very <laughs> or the gilf. <laughs> the gilf. <laughs> he's he's not your typical pastor oh he 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 partakes a little bit in the in the alcohol,
0: okay, but um, that's you know that's not entirely. I've, I've known religious people on both sides of
1: that fence. Yeah. And, yeah. um, But, yeah. I just never, I've never felt that need. Or, I don't feel I'm missing anything. Right. By not doing that. So, you claimed Edge 1987. Yeah. um, Was there a scene? No.
0: So how know, did you know to claim I it? I didn't know any other straight-edge person. So how did you know to claim it? Or that was a thing? I knew about it because of Minor Threat. Okay. I knew about it because of when you were into Seven Seconds and stuff, people would be like, oh, you're into that straight-edge stuff. And in Bellingham, we there was no internet. Um, we got Thrasher Magazine. We yeah. could get that. Um, but not much else. Not even Maximum Rock and Roll really was getting in there yet. So um, I didn't really have access to what was happening East coast straight edge, you know, youth of the day and all that stuff mm-hmm. uh, was not really on my radar. You'd get a record. If you got like a seven seconds record, there might be a flyer inside with other records on the label. You might see stuff, you know, or or uniform choice, you know, would have their flyers and, and the, you know, you'd, you'd hear about stuff as you could piece it together. Um, but the first thing I ever heard was I was out skating one night and there was a dude, Hanging out with one of his friends, and they were kind of fucked up, drinking or whatever. And the guy said, "Man, I think I'm gonna go straight edge for a couple of weeks." And I went, "Whoa, you can do you can do that? <laughs> you just try it." Out. There's a, that's straight edge is like that's that's what straight edge is. I mean, I, I know the minor threat song, but that's what straight edge is. And then um, then I read uh, an interview with the band The Faction, which was Steve Caballero's band, and they said that they were straight edge. And the interviewer said, "You're not. You smoke cigarettes." and they mm-hmm. said cigarettes don't get you high we're straight edge we smoke cigarettes we don't drink we don't take drugs we're straight edge and see that was a there there wasn't a unified concept with everyone about what straight edge meant and it was right. that environment that i had all that kind of stuff where i was like okay i'm straight edge and when i originally went straight edge i thought you could smoke and be straight edge and i was never a smoker mm-hmm. but i definitely have smoked cigarettes post August fifteenth of nineteen eighty seven. Okay, um, and that went away as it as I the the better understanding of straight edge as people started getting more information and zines and maximum rock you know we got more connected to maximum rock and roll and we got connected to Seattle people and the straight edge got bigger yeah that wasn't a thing anymore you yeah. know um, and I was never a smoker but you know if my girlfriend was smoking cloves or something I always liked the way that smelled maybe I'd <laughs> take a drag off a clove cigarette I don't know yeah. um so. Yeah, but at the time, I definitely knew no drinking, no drugs, and that's what I wanted in my life. Okay. So. Yeah, it's funny, people that uh, you're saying like... Oh, wait, look. wait, no, I'm sorry. i was going to interrupt real quick. So yeah. you said, what was the scene? So right after I went straight edge, I told my friends, and shortly after that, it was like, one dude said, I'm straight edge too, and then a couple more friends jumped in. Brett Van Horn, who I just interviewed right. for this podcast... They went straight edge. They went and saw a show, and they got super inspired. Um, they saw the Youth of Today show, uh, without Ray singing, um, and they were getting into Brotherhood. And then a couple more. Fr- so there was this little domino effect. And I did not go to any person and say, "Hey, dude, be straight edge." Right. But when I went straight edge, no other straight edge people that I was aware of in Bellingham. And within a couple months, there was a crew of us. Cool. So I didn't do it, but it happened.
1: Right. Um. Getting back to the that band saying that we smoke cigarettes. So I heard a story. You probably know the guy. I'm not going to say his name, but he thought that McDonald's. He heard somewhere the McDonald's hamburgers were soy, and he, and, he, and he was vegetarian. So he got so excited that he could start eating hamburgers at McDonald's again, and he'd been doing it for months and months because they had soy content, they had soy in it. But he thought it was completely he thought soy. they were
0: soy. Uh,
1: that bums that that
0: is. I mean, I'm sorry, dude. That that you weren't able to keep eating your McDonald's hamburgers. Because um, I love, I remember the burger wars uh, in the 80s where you get like 29 cent hamburgers and 39 cent cheeseburgers. Yeah. And I was eating like six Burger King cheeseburgers like every day for a long time. It was part of, I was also, I'm like, vegetarian, why would you do that? You can't get cheap cheeseburgers. Right. But, um, and I still, I still miss the way the the crappy little dollop of ketchup and, and uh, mustard. mustard and the pickle in the mm-hmm. middle. Of right. those cheap burgers tasted, That's mm-hmm. there's nothing else. There's no equivalent. You can't re- replicate it. You can't, No. which is a bummer because that's awesome. But um, <laughs> someone heard that Bamboo Garden on Queen Anne was not vegetarian, that they just served you meat and told you it was vegetarian. And so vegan, a whole bunch of people- Or vegan, yeah, yeah whichever yeah. it was. Um, we ate there a lot. And and I was never a vegan, but um, but a whole bunch of people didn't eat there because they heard that rumor that they were just
1: serving meat to people, and that's mm-hmm. why it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's awful. I was got hit on by the waiter there, Daniel. Yeah. I don't know who it was. What the wait? The waiter, the dude. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was one of the that was one
1: of the highlights of the place was that weird waiter, <laughs> come up, massage my back. Oh, really? You like? <laughs> I hope he was talking about the food, but I don't think he
0: was. <laughs> so many people have great stories about that guy. I believe his name was Daniel.
1: Yeah. Oh. Kind of a middle-aged guy. Yeah, yeah. he was very, uh, he very was friendly. There. He was out there. <laughs> <laughs> great place to eat then. Garden, Grandpa
0: Garden, and the Globe. Did you go to the Globe? No. The Globe was up on Capitol Hill, and it was a like a volunteer, like vegan breakfast place, mostly vegan. They oh, had yeah. biscuits and gravy. And Not I, as good as Denny's, you know what? Or better, better. Really? And that was what I fell in love with because it. it was like, oh, finally, I've is got biscuits when, and gravy back again. Is that when you
1: went vegetarian because you could you could no. finally drop the Denny's? No, thing. but I was so
0: happy. <laughs> I was so happy that I actually had some biscuits and gravy that I could eat. And, and then they, they, you know, they, it was only for a few years until the guy basically retired and kind of left. The guy that ran the, the show retired, and he left it to his employees or one of his employees, and they just ran into the ground. Yeah.
1: So no biscuits and gravy anymore. Oh, man. <laughs> um, so this is what I meant. Okay, we'll get back to you. You opened a skate shop. You were 16. Mm-hmm. So that this is Dude. what I meant. I don't know if it, I can't remember if we were recording at the time, but I said I pictured you as a guy who's kind of fearless. Um, but anyway, that's because I was I was saying who I, would kind of people I want to interview. um well, six, but, 16s but fear, pretty. But fearless is, that, that's just stupid.
0: Like that's what? just not having the experience to know that you can't do that. I was afraid of, of of a million different things, right? But I n- thought I could, I thought I could put skateboards together in a skateboard shop and sell them skaters. Like a, I, but
1: could, that did that involve paying rent to somebody, making them, you know? How yeah. Did, how did you get the down payment to get into the? building? Okay, so building I, and all that I wrote kind of stuff.
0: all the details of that in this article called. I owned a skateboard shop in 1987, which is okay. on nobody's com. Okay. Um, so I'm not going to do all of the, but we, we borrowed money from my friend's dad and okay. I had a little bit of money that they threw in. It was very little. And we just learned all the stuff and we were just, we were just dumb. Like, of, yeah, we can do that. See, I was, I, there were, I was afraid of, of a million different things, but within that pathway that I had forged for myself with skateboarding and with punk rock. Like, no, we could put on a show. No, mm-hmm. we can go. I, I mean, there's not a mosh pit happening at the show. Hey, let's go start one. For right. a while, that was the kid I was, and so I might have been kind of fearless in that way. But I, you know, I, I did not in. Okay, you're not afraid to take risks. Let's, yeah, well, that's gotten okay. me in
1: tons of trouble in my life financially. Right, <laughs> but like knowing you, I don't. I don't know. what's involved in a record label. I've pride when I was, you know playing music, wanting you to sign us. Like you said, you're laughing at that word. I probably had a way different vision of what it actually was. Right. Um, but I would never have the guts to do that. I, I probably wouldn't now, but it's the music seems so different now that it's weird,
0: but right. And see now I, I wouldn't do a record label.
1: Yeah. Cause it's just, well,
0: <sighs> I, I think I, you probably would. I don't know. <laughs> I might put our records, but I, I don't know if I want to do a record label as my main thing. And see, when you do it at hobby level, it's just not, you're not able to, to do what the person who's band you're servicing, you can't do what they need. Even when you're trying to do it full time, it's very, very hard to give people what
1: they need. So did you consider that a hobby then? When, when I
0: started, I just wanted to be involved. Like, so when the record, when the, when the skate shop closed, um, I went out and started just working regular jobs and trying to be an adult, which was such a stupid idea at 18. Right. And, um, thought I was going to stay in Bellingham. And then I got a little bit of money. I got some money from my dad and I'm like, you know, I want to do, I started doing a fanzine called excursion. Okay. It's photocopying at Kinko's and stuff and putting that out. And then I'm like, okay, I want to do a a record. I'm going to see if I can figure out how to do a record. And I'd become friends with Ron and Ron was doing overkill. And he was like, Oh my God, dude, it's not difficult. Here are the different steps you just call, you know? And so he, he was able to show me that there wasn't more to it. You know, you always think there's, there's gotta be more to it, but at a basic level, it's just, make the order, get the stuff, put it together, now what? And I figured, well, I can figure out the now what? I'll put an ad in that Maximum Rock and Roll. It's cheap, and I'll see if some, you know, I'm sure people will just buy them all, right. which wasn't the case. But <laughs> So I was going to do a compilation of Northwest hardcore stuff. Okay. Northwest punk and hardcore. And the only band that came through for me was ten oh seven. And I was like, why don't we just do a 7-inch? So I put out a 10 7 7-inch. Okay. And then once I did that, I sold enough of those to get the money back. So I was like, oh, I can put another record out. And I was able to pay for the ads and I was able to do, you know, so I just kept rolling it like that really slowly. And then after a few releases, um, my friend, John Lisa from this band sleeper in New York, they became Serpico. We had met through maximum rock and roll. He was doing a small record label also. And he said, Hey, there's this, there's this distributor in New York called Dutch East. You should sell your stuff through them. So I started doing that. They would just take like, you know, 50 records and they'd sell them. And then I'd get a check and it was more money than had come in from any one place for the record label at one time, you know, there was no good distribution network then. And so then I would also trade records. So I'd, I'd be like, Hey man, I'll trade you 20 of my record for 20 of your record with some other small label. So we would do that. And then I would just pack up the records they sent me and send them to Dutch East. And I had a relationship with the woman there that I, I, I knew she would just be like, yeah, just send it. If you say it's good, we'll put it out. And so they were selling my stuff every week. Really? And I was, now I was starting to, get money in off the, the presses and pressings, but not a lot. And I had this 10 or seven wanted to do a record and undertow said they were willing to let me put out this five song demo that they had done as a seven inch. And I could not possibly afford it. If I sold everything, I was not going to be able to afford to do this. And right about that time, the woman at Dutchie said, you know, if you ever wanted to put out a record, we would pay for it. Wow. And I was like, Oh, and she said, yeah, well it's called a P and D deal. And basically we get exclusive distribution and they were the only distributor I had at the time anyway. And, um, you still do your mail order and we do a deal and we would just do. And I said, well, can I, my thing was, and this was something that became a point of contention because the deals that people made with Dutch East became a big deal. People got angry about it later in the Mm nineties. As I said, I want to be able to either do a record with you or not. And that was how I thought at the time. And maybe it was because I did the business with the record, with the, with the skateboard shop. I was able to see some of the writing on the wall. I'm like, I want to be able to stop this at any point and continue on with no problem. She goes, we'll sign a contract for each individual thing that you do. Each one will be its own new special deal. I said, cool. He said, we have no claim on you. Each one, you know, so if it makes its money back, you know, then it's cool. And after, after it makes a certain amount of profit, we split it, whatever the percentage was. So I was able to get money together to do Undertow and 1007 and a bunch of different things. I ended up doing 10 releases in conjunction with Dutch East out of the like 40-something that I did through the course of the record label.
1: Okay.
0: Um, and then with Abolition and Chemical and that whole thing, there ended up being this real issue about if you don't put out records with your own money, if you use someone else's money, then you can't advertise in my magazine and I won't distribute your stuff. And there was just all this drama and all these people thought it was like, we were like almost like major labels, but like I was still just doing it out of my apartment, you know, yeah. out of my room. Never at any point did I make any significant money. Yeah, And I'm not like, and I'm not like a show promoter pretending they've never made money on a show when they actually took home $5,000 last <laughs> night. I mean, I never had any <laughs> money. I don't think I've ever paid rent off record label money in my life.
1: Yeah. So. So what was the name of the undertow demo?
0: Oh, it was just undertow. I, I, they might've called it stalemate. The record that it became was stalemate. Okay. And it was the five songs on the seven inch. And then it was eight songs on the CD version. It was a, it was the songs from the demo, two songs from split seven inch and, and then a live, a live song.
1: Did you put out at both ends?
0: I put out the at both ends LP, okay. another Dutch East deal, because okay. I could never have afforded it. And then Ron ended up doing the final one.
1: What was the last one? Uh, It was Control. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, so how long did you have the skateboard shop? Two years, exactly. Really? We closed
0: on August 15th, 1989. Just by fate or by... We knew we were going to close, and we picked that day so that it would be two years. So we
1: planned, so it'd be a cool story later. I guess. <laughs> I don't know how cool it was. <laughs> Sounds cool. Wish it had not closed. Yeah. Um, now, when you it. say skateboard shop, I, I'll, I'll admit, I didn't read the article. That's um, fine. Was it a repair shop or a sell, you sold boards?
0: We sold boards. We sold boards and shirts. And in the end, we had records. And we, we put complete boards together for people. And okay, we had everything there. Um, it was uh, We were open every day. You know, we were open seven days a week. Uh, when we were in school, we opened at three in the afternoon. And we'd be open for three hours. I was going to go home at six and uh, it was fantastic, man. It Sounds was, I can't, fun. I mean, I can't, I, I saw that w- the reason why I wrote the article is because I found a roll of pictures mm-hmm. that I didn't know I had. And it was pictures of the inside of the shop. And it like oh, okay. was a total nostalgia mind. Fuck. <laughs> like I was just like, oh my God, like these are, this is proof that it was real. Yeah. Cause it's so long ago in my life now. And it was such a strange thing anyway. Mm-hmm. Like I remember being in there, but sometimes it's like, it was a dream. Right. So, um, That's pushing 30 years now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so exactly. So, um, yeah, I, I wanted to write the story of everything that I could remember about how it came about and how it fell apart. And it just was weird in the end, but we, we, we sold, I mean, there were a lot of kids that got skateboards there for the first time. In fact, there's a story. I don't want to repeat the story, but if you go on the blog page, there's some comments at the bottom where people have commented, it connects to Facebook. Uh-huh. And there's a comment from a guy who bought boards there when he was a kid and he went on to own a company that makes skate parks. Really? And he, he says some very nice things about the influence we had on him. Oh, cool. And he was like, I don't think, you know, how much influence you had on a lot of people. So that was a real trip for me because I'm like, no, I, oh, it doesn't, doesn't it doesn't start and end in my mind. Like does I, it doesn't really, it didn't really affect anyone else. Did right. it? Um, so yeah, no, it was a weird thing. Okay. So but, what? But I don't. But see, you said fearless earlier, though. Yeah. And it's it's not fearless. It's just it's just dumb. It's just not having experience to be like this can't work. Okay. So just trying it because, I never thought of like, money and and going to work and trying to create something as being something to be afraid of. Okay. I was afraid of talking in front of a crowd. Yeah. <laughs> like not afraid of you know, selling something, on a skateboard or a yeah. record.
1: Yeah. Well, I I just. Opening up your own business at 16 is kind of ballsy. Entre- entrepreneurial. Yeah, it was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and fun. Yeah.
0: So what brings you to Seattle? Okay, I, well, I came to Seattle to be... to Well, that that deal uh, that East was offering me um, was... They were starting to talk to me about that right around the end of 1992. I was in a band in Bellingham. We were breaking up. Um... There was, I was...
1: See, that's one thing I didn't know. I didn't know you were in bands. Because they weren't good? Well, I just didn't. I just didn't, I just thought you were, a, you know. I played bass in a band called
0: Fragment. We had a bunch of different names. Bill Baker sang for. Briar Herrick, who does the intro and outro music on this, played guitar with us, and my buddy Mike played drums. Uh, I sang in a couple of punk bands. Um, I played bass in this band called Bull Goose Looney with two of the guys from 10 of 7, an earlier incarnation of 10 of 7, mm-hmm. and a and, uh, dude who had been in Brotherhood. And that was the band that was going on at the time. And I was really excited about that. We kind of like a Lookout style, you know, not a hardcore band. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when that started to fall apart, I I was getting just much closer. I was beginning to be closer with the people in Seattle. Like when I was going to shows, I was going down to the party hall. I was driving down there all the time. Ron and I were tight. Like Matt had become one of my really good friends. Matt from Seven. So I was just like, what am I doing here? Like, right. Bellingham's cool, but... I think if I go down there, I can, I can do this label and be around the people and be around more bands that are actually going to go and tour and put out stuff. Cause there were Bellingham bands, but they just didn't have, they had a Bellingham mindset, right. small town, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, yeah, I moved down basically to pursue the label. Okay.
1: And that's, that's where we start running in. The same scene. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah.
0: The the firehouse, the old firehouse blew up and started becoming a thing in ninety three through ninety four and you got those big undertow shows. I'm sure you were at some of those where it's mm-hmm. just like the whole place is packed full of yeah. people. Um Yeah. So I'm kinda up to up to being in and then the story of excursion is just whatever. Put out mm-hmm. a bunch of records and then it petered out and almost completely died, and then I made the movie Edge of Quarrel. And then I kind of did another big oomph push with Excursion with the stuff that was happening in the early 2000s because I was really inspired by the new people that were involved. And then a lot of that fell apart, too. <laughs> Bands broke up as their records came out, stuff right. like that. Just yeah. just the stuff that got you, you know?
1: So now you're doing this Nobody Knows website?
0: Uh, so Nobody's knows, Nobody's knows is... um. Yeah, and that's why the symbol is the, the question mark turned so it looks like a nose. Oh. <laughs> no one knew what that was. Uh, my friend Drake and I were just, we would have these conversations, these like epic conversations that would go on for hours on the phone where we would just be saying crazy, funny stuff to each other and laughing like lunatics. And then she would always say, Nobody knows how funny we are. And when we worked <laughs> together, she was my boss for a while. Right. When we would work together, if other people were working in the office with us at the stores place we worked at,
2: mm-hmm.
0: like they wouldn't have any idea what we were talking about. Right. And we would just be giggling or we would be talking. We'd be having a really intense conversation about like Henry Rollins spoken word show <laughs> she was at when she was 17 <laughs> or like all this other stuff, you know. And they would just be like, you guys speak another language. And we'd be like, yeah, you, you guys have no idea. Yeah. Nobody knows. Right. And right. so that's where it kind of came from. And so a couple years ago, I started doing some stand up stuff. Really? Like, Not to do stand-up, but to be able to try to beat that fear of the crowd because it was hurting me in some other parts of my life. Like I would would go try to talk to a producer about a script that I'd written or something, and I'd be sitting across the table, and it would be this guy and two assistants, and that would make it a crowd. Mm -hmm. And then I'd sweat and be nervous and not be able to find the right words, and I'm like, this is stupid. I can sit and talk to people for six hours if I can find a way – to get interested in the conversation, but I can't plead my case when I need to, you know? So I, I challenged myself to go up on stage at open mics and I went out and changed my name and grew a beard and stopped cutting my hair so that I could like, so it would be like a a, a, a costume. Right. Um, and then I just didn't ever shave or cut the hair off again. After I think that. they call that
1: aversion therapy actually.
0: Oh, that may be. I just felt like I could pretend it wasn't me if it went really badly.
1: No, I mean the, the facing, like, putting yourself oh. out there, your biggest fear. Okay. Putting yourself in the middle of it. Right.
0: And so yeah. the thing is, it. I only went up five times. Mm-hmm. It worked spectacularly. Really? Like, I have, like, I mean, I look, I still feel nervous, and I would be terrified. Like, we went out to, Drake an, and I went to an open mic this Friday, and, I, like, I would have been terrified to get up, but I would have been better at it, Yeah, you know, than I was. And so I have actually done pitches to, like panels of people there were like 10 people sitting facing me asking me questions and i'm pitching and been so much more comfortable than i ever was before but because i'm not trying to make them laugh while i stand up there and shake while they're you know make me laugh funny man right. you know, so it's uh so i did that but in conjunction with that i told drake let's let's start this website and use and put up comedy, like things we think are funny on the internet. We'll make some funny web pages. Mm-hmm. And so we started doing that and that morphed into, I can host my podcast on it, but it will still, will still maintain the idea that this is a comedy website because if I, if at some point I, you know, I get together, I have dreams that maybe I'll never get to like putting together a sketch comedy troupe right. <laughs> like, and, <laughs> and making video, you know, funny videos for the internet and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'll have a, I'll have at least a place to host that, mm-hmm. that people come to and check out stuff.
1: So for right now, it's just the podcast. So how long have you been doing the podcast?
0: Uh, recorded the first episodes of the podcast in January of this year, so 2015. Oh, it's only been going this year. Yeah. Okay. Sorry not um, miss out. But Nobody's Knows has been around for like four years or something.
1: Yeah. See, I got a weird thing with fear of, I can't speak in front of people either. Which is weird being a front man of a band. Being in a band. But I had sang in bands too. And I couldn't... What always bothered me
0: was in the time when someone was tuning. <laughs> Trying I would feel to, like the yeah, yeah. weight was coming down on me that I couldn't stop. Yeah. And I could never... And like, you know, I could I could never do what I could do at Danny's for three hours with, you know, with people that I knew where we could just talk about bullshit and sometimes amuse people. But I could
1: never do it at a show. What I hated about it was when I sang really aggressive, really yell, really kind of guttural yelling. What that would do to my voice would make it really high when I try to talk. <laughs> so in between songs, I'd be like, okay, he does this Yeah, but that's kind of right. <laughs> like an idiot. See, see, now I would want to go the <laughs> other way. I'd be like,
0: all right, thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening.
1: But I'd rather, play, I'd rather play in front of 300, 400 people than sit in a room of three people and play. Oh, okay. I'm more nervous in a small setting than I would be in front of a lot of people. Right. Because with all those hundreds of people, you can just like, spread the judgment out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and now that I play drums, I can hide behind that. I don't sure, care. Sure, sure. So, all right, cool. Well, that will uh, probably wrap this one up.
0: Excellent. Okay. So, I um, basically, I've talked about, I mean, people are probably, probably know about the website. I want to make sure people know about your website. Okay. It's www.chatwithcarl.com Chatwithcarl.com and That's, that's the home of the of the podcast. Right. Which is Be in my band. Be in my band.
1: Yeah. And you've got what four episodes up and I have three episodes up. Okay. Um I have one recorded that I need to get up. That's with Cliff, the singer of my band now
0: cool I recommend people listen to it there's some great stories you you I like the way you get into some of those stories especially I mean when it gets funny it's really funny yeah
1: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate so cool.
0: that All right. and yeah I do I definitely think people should check it out and uh, we should both keep going and see what kind of like you know little podcast empires
1: we can build up here. <laughs> I, that's what I'm hoping for uh, thanks That'd brother cool. appreciate right. it You do. Yeah.
0: Hey, okay. I hope you guys had fun with that one. I had a lot of fun with that one. It was kind of cool to get the tables turned on me a little bit there and talk. Um, Definitely go check out Carl's website, chat with Carl, Carl's podcast, Be In My Band. I know he's got a lot more stuff coming up, and I I expect that once he gets through his old band members, he's going to find a way to to pivot with this thing and, and keep going. I know he's really enjoying it, and I've enjoyed listening to his episodes, so check that out. Now, I'm going to do some corrections. We do a corrections section, as you may know, and uh, right off the bat, I'm just going to say we screwed the pooch completely on Van Halen Conversation. Like, we, yeah, it's just embarrassing, okay? Uh, I'm going to start with my awful mistake, which is, um, I was so wrong about Pretty Woman. It's not on Van Halen 1. It's on 1982's Diver Down LP. Um, I don't know. I don't know. In my memory, they all just mixed together. We got all mixed up about a lot of stuff about Inhalon. I I don't know if we said anything right at all, actually. So, um, the Just a Gigolo and the California Girl covers were um, on the Crazy from the Heat EP from 1985 by David Lee Roth. That's his debut solo release, and he was still in the band when it came out. So those right before he left the band, they were doing those things concurrently. As for the uh, the Monsters of Rock tour in 88, that was not Hagar's first tour with the band. They uh, He joined in 85 or, or 86, I think 85, and uh, the first record, 5150, that was released in 86, and they toured on that record that year. Monsters of Rock was in 1988, so they had definitely toured already um yeah so not that you know sure anyone really cares too much but um there was probably some people while we were talking that were like no you guys are wrong cause you know I do actually hear about some of the things that get wrong on here which is actually part of the fun and I enjoy it so don't stop if you hear something else that's wrong uh let me know the other thing that I'm not sure if we got wrong or not is um when Carl says that his band asked the guitar player from the trial to play I assume he meant Brian Redmond. but Brian Redmond was bass player and the story seemed to line up with the bands he was talking about but it it might have actually been brian johnson also known as spicoli um i might have fouled that one up um and just by suggesting brian switched the uh switched the conversation there i'm not actually sure um but i think it, it pretty much works either way it's one of those dudes yeah i don't know of any other corrections to make necessarily in the episode um These are the only ones that I caught. I'll bet there's more. Uh, I'm recording this late at night. I normally do these uh, intros and outros earlier in the day. There was a lot of noise here around the house, so um, I'm running down. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice. So what was I going to say? Definitely go to nobody'snose.com. Check out some of the other stuff I put up. I mean, the podcast, you're listening to it now, but you may be listening to it somewhere, but not off the website. Uh, You know, you got to check out the blog page for each episode. See the photos we put up. Check out some of the links to some of the stuff we talk about. If you hear about a band or a a show or or something, that a place maybe, that you don't know what we're talking about, if you go to the blog page, there's a pretty good probability that I will have written some kind of description or linked something off of the blog page about that specific thing so just go check it out see and plus you know anytime we mention a band I'm linking videos or live sets or or just you know links to their websites there's some fun stuff on there yeah so do that plus you know we talked about the article I wrote about my skateboard shop That's up on there. It's in the rants section. Um, Yeah, click through the links. There's a store up. I've got old leftover records basically from some of these bands from my label from back in the day and DVD copies of my movie and all kinds of stuff, you know. Um, But I would also love it if you guys would follow me on Twitter, at Nosy Nobody. If you would go like the Facebook page. That's really important. We need to get more people liking on that. So it's Facebook.com slash Nosy Nobody. Tell your friends. All right. I've been saying for a while we're working on another show. We are working on another show. working on another podcast. It's moving slowly, but it's coming forward before too long. Nobody's Knows will be more of the podcast network that I want it to be, but it's still under wraps as to what it is. Until I've got one in the can and I know it's actually going to work, then I'll announce it. All right. Talk about to you all later. This podcast is a product of the Nobody's Knows Podcast Network. Executive Producers David R. Larson and K. Drake Streetman. Music for this episode provided by Polymorph from the record Artifacts, Demos and Debris.